it's just incredible to see how Bitcoin is the tool that is touching these people's lives. It's not fiat money. It's not some credit card. It's not, you know, they're not signing up to American Express and suddenly the, the, the problems are going away. It, it's Bitcoin. Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. The Bitcoin block height is 818880, and the value of one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and many other things as well. Today, that guest is Joe Nakamoto. Joe is a journalist and creator who travels the world giving people Bitcoin like a freaking psychopath and sharing stories of the realities of Bitcoin adoption on the ground, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can find all Joe's links and accounts in the show notes or by going to bitcoinpodcast.net slash words. I highly recommend you check out and share Joe's videos. Joe and I always have a good time when we hang out together at conferences, and today, even though we were separated by a wide ocean, we had some beers, had a great time, and ended up running for about two hours. We talked about his path before and leading to Bitcoin, the state of Bitcoin adoption in various countries, talking about Bitcoin at shitcoin conferences, KYC, AML, Lightning Wallets, and a whole lot more. Before we get into the show, it's a good time to remind you that Christmas is right around the corner. And if you're looking for a great gift for friends, family, or a little present for yourself, head to bitbox.swiss walker and use the promo code walker for 5% off the Bitcoin-only Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. The Bitbox O2 is perfect for seasoned psychopaths and new coiners alike. It's easy as hell to use, it's Bitcoin-only, naturally, and it's fully open source. So you can see the firmware in the Bitbox O2, check out the Bitbox app code, even x-rays of the hardware and other schematics. Just go to their GitHub and verify for yourself. You don't have to trust me. Or help build one for yourself if you feel like it. Or just go to bitbox.swiss slash walker and use that promo code walker. As always, you can watch the Bitcoin podcast on Rumble, YouTube, or X by searching at Walker America. Or listen on fountain.fm or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Bitcoin podcast. If you do listen to the Bitcoin podcast on Fountain, consider giving this show a boost or creating a clip of something you found interesting. If you haven't checked out Fountain yet, I highly recommend it. You can send Bitcoin to your favorite podcasters and earn Bitcoin just for listening to this show. If you're a Bitcoiner and you're not using Fountain, I'm not really sure what the fuck you're doing. All right, without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Joe Nakamoto. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run the recording now because... Uh, you you never know what what pure gold Joe Nakamoto may bring to the table before anything <laughs> is officially live. Well, man, it's good to see you. I I appreciate you, too, you hopping on here right after getting off a plane, probably some trains, automobiles. Correct, all of the above. Uh, yeah, no, I was in uh, Bulgaria like six hours ago, and that's where I was showing off my new Botev, my new favorite football team. Of course, like, Am I... you know, I love Real Bedford, but... I was just going to say, have you informed Peter of your potentially shifting alliances? Or how does that work? If you're, if you're outside the country and depending on what league they're in, you can, you can love two teams equally. What's, the, what's think, the rule there? I think it's definitely a Brexit thing as well, because this is a European team. And obviously, you know, Bedford being in the UK, that can be my like... UK team and then Botev is my Eastern European team because presumably there's going to be a Western European team coming sure. soon as well. So 
Yeah, so I'm literally out of breath. I genuinely was running around the house trying to kind of like connect stuff so that I could get online on time. Man, How are you? well, I, I, I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm doing well. I, I can, you, is that a beer I see, by the way? Yeah, this is poured by Sophie moments before. She said she might come in and say hi at some point. And if not, I, she passes on her congratulations and her uh, salutations. Well, uh, salutations uh, from, from me and from Carla as well to her and, of course, to yourself. You know, I was actually, it's only about, uh, it's 1 p.m. here in the U.S., but I mm -hmm. thought if I know that son of a gun, Joe Nakamoto, he may have a beer. So I figured, you know, let me, <laughs> let me just oh. partake. I mean, after all, it's, it's practically evening across the pond. So it would be remiss of me not to share a drink with you. So cheers. Cheers, mate. Love to see you. Cheers to you and the new family. Yes. Can I do that? Can I clink that? Uh, yeah, we can. We can. And I broke it. It's a cheap thing from uh, uh, Alibaba anyway, so it's probably going to break at some point. Well, that's all right. Um, you know, am I sounding good to you? Because you sound crystal clear to me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, um, I also lost my like mic stand on like travels here. So I've tried out an arm. Check this out. Have you, have you used an arm before? I, I'm, I'm using one. I'm using one right right now. Can you? Because you know, now that I'm a, oh, mine's not that. super adjustable. It's kind of a it's a piece of shit that I got off Amazon for pretty cheap. Because I can't exactly justify you know large expenditures for this uh, this podcast endeavor yet. But I was like, I, I've got one of these little one of these little like uh, these little guys that came with the uh, mic. That's smart. And that works yeah. well, except you've got to like you've got to lean in really close to it, and then it just yeah. you, you look like you're kind of like I've got a really big forehead. And then it just looks awkward. It's like my face is just full frame there. So yeah, yeah trying trying the whole mic thing. Uh, That's great. Boom arm. Yeah, and I've well, got wait. a big old spot right here, which is front and center. This is this audio and video, or this is audio <laughs> and video. Um, but oh, yeah, great. don't. If it makes you feel any better, I've got I've got a big old spot right here too. It's like we're 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 twins here. So there's there's no judgment. We're both still hitting puberty after all. It's an interesting time in a young man's life. Uh, it really is. Who can blame us? <laughs> Exactly. Um, so is this when you put in the comments like jump to minute four to talk about Bitcoin content before that time that they're sharing skincare routines and <laughs> discussing European time zones? Honestly, I, I have not. Uh, when I go through and do the editing for these things, I pretty much just like leave it as is. Like I put all of, you know, the, the guests links, all of my like six guests or so that I've had so far, um, mm -hmm. quite a quite a large arsenal. But I haven't done any of the whole like, okay, skip ahead to here when you get to the Bitcoin price prediction of 1 million thing. Because I honestly <laughs> find some of that to be just like a little, a little cheap. Uh, I get mm. that some people don't want to hear the, the banter of these things. But for me, it's like the banter is kind of what makes it like if I wanted to just get a, you know, a couple of like a really quick hit, like I'm just going to read Twitter, like I'm listening yeah. to a podcast because I want I want just a little bit more flavor. Uh, and speaking of flavor, that flavor saver on your lip is getting outrageous and I fully approve of it. It's quite impressive. I need to actually trim it. And that's uh, the, the, the weird part. Like Soph was saying, she started like a week ago being like, you need to get rid of this thing. And I was like, there's only like a week left, you know, and I'm actually try getting a bit um, not uncomfortable, but it's just, have you ever had to trim a mustache before? Have you ever got to that I stage? Uh, thank you, Joe. That seems like it was a bit of a knock on my blonde mustache. Uh, but but yes, I have gotten to that stage uh, many, many times. I cycle through my facial hair. So I just go, you know, nice. from bearding it a little bit. But I've got like, you know, the movie Joe Dirt. Uh, you ever seen that? It rings a bell. But Maybe it's an American it. thing. Anyway, he's got this white trash facial hair. 
and it only grows. If, if you're trying to imagine what it looks like, it looks like mine. Like there's just purely, there's nothing right there and it'll mm -hmm. just never grow there. Uh, so right. I just cycle through different versions of kind of a really white bread facial hair and I think it works well. But if I may say, by the time the woman in your life is telling you, like, or asking you, I should say, are you going to cut that? That's when you know you're getting to almost mustache perfection. Like it's right oh, really? after. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the sweet spot. Like you, you, this is where you've got to hold out. You've got to stand your ground and be like, Walker told me if I let it go just a little bit longer, it'll be in the sweet spot. But the, the woman in your life telling you, uh, maybe you need to cut that. That's the mm. signal that it's, okay. it's almost perfection. And also like the, the curling bit at the end, it, it all gets a bit weird and a bit, you know, uh, I had a lot of Bulgarians thinking I was Bulgarian, um, which is obviously a great sign. That um, is, you know, I mean, now I'm back in Portugal. It's like, oh, you must be Portuguese. It's like, no, I just have facial hair. Uh, yeah. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So wait, on on this trip, you were uh, were you just in Bulgaria, or were you were you pinning it on to some others? Mm. Yeah. So I went to Sofia. I flew in there on Wednesday of last week, and actually flew back from there as well because Lisbon didn't have direct flights to anywhere else. Oh no, but I, I didn't even fly from Liz Lisbon. I flew last minute from London because I needed to get a last-minute visa to Ghana. I actually bumped into some of Peter McCormack's film crew in the Ghana Premium Application Centre, which is quite jokes. Wow, um, okay. Because yeah. um, I I'd met um, one of them, Kurt, in... I think it was Bedford at some point. He's the guy who does these like, amazing like swooping shots, and then I met his uh, friend as well. And, yeah, I messaged Pete, like maybe an hour afterwards being like oh I bumped into your pals and he was like yeah the rumours were true and I was like <laughs> at some point I got doxxed in this like Ghana visa application centre um, but yes we were having like a bitcoin discussion at the back of this uh, sort of like very quiet uh, austere sort of uh, setting being like oh mate have you seen that thing that just happened on Twitter mate it's like crazy right? isn't it, isn't it? <laughs> so you don't want to say bitcoin too loud you're like shit yeah. I don't I don't want to get, have them give me some sort of a weird cavity search because they think I, all the bitcoins are you know inside yeah. of me at this moment exactly like not again second time this year and, <laughs> and on top of that i almost ran out of um like i had a real scare with getting the visa because i've almost filled up a passport which sounds like a humble brag but it's actually really frustrating because certain countries won't let you in if you don't have enough like clean pages so like, to get to the us again which i'm currently like struggling to get into i need to get a new passport and i'm going to get one of those ones that's like a bible thickness it's like bitcoin standard thickness the passport. extra thick ones yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's, it's such a ridiculous system like the idea that oh you filled up too many of your open spots on these pieces of physical paper and even though we literally use facial recognition at every border crossing we still need to put a stamp in here because for some reason that makes sense i i truly don't understand it yeah it's uh and i mean again then we do this sort of border crossing in like africa or latin america you know that they're actually going through and they're counting the days and i, I realize this and so like obviously you can do visa runs and that sort of thing and like today i gave the wrong passport to the bulgarian border patrol person because i've got like two passports and i try to keep oh. one clean and oh, one boy. dirty yeah stack passports right and uh, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was like, there's no record of you being in this country. And I was like, oh, crap, was it the other passport? Shit, I was like, shit, looking shit. at him like, I'm like, yeah, like, is that it? Am I like off to the gulag? Is, is, that's just, that's, it's game over. Oh, and, my God. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was all okay. He laughed it off and was like, don't worry, this actually happens more than you'd, uh, more than you'd think. But good thing is, got the Ghana visa, went to Bulgaria, which is where I was for the past few days. And I was there investigating this wonderful Mugs football team. 
um, which is Botev Plovdiv. Um, you, but you know Eastern Europe a little bit, right? You've got uh, family ties to Romania. I do well uh, ma- married into the family ties now, so I, I'm an honorary Romanian, is what I'm told, uh, <laughs> which is which is nice. Uh, it, it really becoming an honorary Romanian just consists of spending enough time in like the Maramureș area and being hazed by drinking a ton of palinka and tsuica, and wow. yeah, um, it's it's a wonderful Let's part talk of about the world. that. Yeah, well, that that's a <laughs> oh, oh boy, that's a that's a whole rabbit hole. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful part of the world and there's, there's so, well, there's history all over the world, right? Every country has its story, but I find Eastern Europe and maybe I'm a bit biased too, because my lovely wife is hailing from there, but I find their history and really recent history to be so fascinating because there are just so many lessons to be learned from it. And the attitudes people have in those countries about communism and different, uh, you know, let's call them more new age ideas. Like they're very, uh, they're very skeptical. They mm-hmm. doubt a lot. Like they're like, listen, we've seen, we've seen this shit before. We've heard this line before you're yeah. trying to sell me something and you're probably trying to sell me totalitarianism. I'm, I want no part of it. So mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting too, cause I'm not sure about Bulgaria, but at least in Romania, it's a still a heavily cash based economy mm-hmm. um, and very little use of, credit like credit cards are a lot of people have them but i think it's something like it's in the like upper 90s percents of romanian romanians that primarily transact with either cash or debit cards it's just like they they just really don't trust banks and credit card companies too much i mean obviously they trust the banks enough to you know use a debit card but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of just hesitation about that i think because they've seen what happens when state controls come in and say okay you know your money isn't yours or you're not allowed to use foreign currency because that's, you know, anti-party behavior. And it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I, I love visiting that part of the world, though. It's, uh, yeah. No, it definitely yeah. echoes of um, that sort of culture in Bulgaria. And I mean, I, I lived in Serbia for like four months, like five mm. or six years ago and did a project there. And again, it was all cash based, uh, total distrust or mistrust rather of government. And that really played out during the pandemic because you know like you know when the, the rules change like every like two weeks or whenever just the banker was like oh, yeah yeah okay yeah now it's two meters now it's three meters now it's a mask now it's this and, that and the other and i think a lot of the eastern europeans were like this is all bollocks like we've been here before we yep. know exactly what the governments say whatever the governments say you take it you chuck it in the bin and you do the other thing yeah oh, it's, it's it's kind of wonderful <laughs> it's like it's like people you know in america there's the obviously well all over the world there's a big, you know, still a clash between the, the pro-vax and the anti-vax. Um, and mm. anyone who is even mildly skeptical of any vaccine or of the schedule for applying those vaccines is automatically this anti-science, anti-vaxxer. But it's like, Americans, please go to Eastern Europe for like two minutes and ask somebody about vaccines. And they will tell you about how they used to be forced to take that, whatever the government said, with mm. absolutely zero recourse during communism. And so, yeah, they are a little bit hesitant now uh, <laughs> to trust a, you know, a rapidly thrown into the market shot from uh, a company or a government. It's, it's interesting. I think that doubt serves people well in general, like um, my, my extremely uh, Romanian father-in-law, he always says, you know, Walker, dubito ergo, cogito, cogito ergo sum. He's got like this very deep, nice Romanian voice. And it's like, I doubt, therefore, Sounds I think, like I Latin. think, therefore, I am. Oh, that was it, Latin. It, it, yeah, oh, okay, it, it right. was. It, um, yeah. And it's, uh, 
it's genuinely such a, a good sentiment to have. It's like, I think in people are very doubtful of things that they don't agree with these days, which is mm -hmm. good, but it's a good reminder to also be doubtful about messages you do agree with. Cause oftentimes that's, that's where our blind spot is. Mm -hmm. It's this idea that like, Oh, I like what I'm hearing. So I'm just, I'm not going to apply the same critical thinking to it that I do to a message from somebody that I don't agree with. And mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a constant reminder to challenge oneself. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so with that, so we can, um, maybe Joe, just for you, I'll put in the thing that says, Oh, if you want to get by Walker and Joe's banter about Eastern Europe and, and coffee <laughs> mugs, uh, skip to this, but I probably won't. I'll probably make them sit through all of it, but Good. I, and I'm still figuring this out, Joe, I've got to say, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out what are the, what's, what's the best way to do this whole podcast thing. And do I, do I always intro every guest or do, do I do like the, the cool guy thing where you just, you're just talking and it's assumed that you know who the guest is and. So I'm just kind of go for a little bit of both. So okay. what I'll do right now is I'll go greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin podcast. And today's episode is Bitcoin Talk. I am joined today by a guy who goes around the world talking about Bitcoin. He frankly won't shut up about it sometimes. His name is Joe Nakamoto. Uh, he is a journalist, a creator a speaker, a moderator. He's also hosting conferences all the time. Uh, him and I are often mistaken for the same person backstage. Uh, this is happening far too frequently now. Uh, <laughs> but you'd think that the accent would give it away. Apparently it doesn't. But Joe also has a much, much darker side. And it's something he tries, uh, he tries to hide a little bit. And that's that he is an incredibly toxic maximalist. Uh, he's also so like a shit <laughs> No, no, <laughs> I, I wasn't. Incredible shit <laughs> he's, You should see this guy's shit coin. No, but <laughs> he, he, Joe, you're a, you're a toxic maximalist, and you've also been called you know a bit of a virtue signaler, I think. Um, mm. And I, for one, as an American, know that you are a closet imperialist who is intent on you know bringing. No, it's not the, closet. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we got you. Oh boy, here we go again. But <laughs> Joe, with that intro welcome to another fucking bitcoin podcast it is great to have you here thank you so much walker what a tremendous introduction oh, um, I, how many times did we rib me like six that is excellent there were compliments as well it wasn't they just were. ripping back, yeah. backhanded which is the best way to deliver a compliment of course but yeah. i'm pretty sure you british folk take the imperialist comment as a compliment actually it's like yeah no the whole world yeah we it was ours yeah that, that was us Sun never sets on the British Empire. <laughs> it sure does not. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that on a podcast. Well, oh, I'm going to get cancelled. I'm going to. I'm going to make that into a song. We're going to put a nice beat behind it, and it's just going to be you saying the sun never sets on the British Empire. Beautiful. But we did, real we talk, change it to like Bitcoin, or you know, the sun never sets on the blockchain. Or no, right. no, you said what you said. It's there's yep. no going back now. No, no, no take backs. But it's good to have you here, Joe, because you and I we have had some good times. Uh, together at various conferences. It's one of those things where we, you know, got to finally meet in person. When, when was the first, was the first time we met in person? Was it Lugano last year or was it before that? Yeah, no, uh, uh, I, I have vivid memories of certain places, but I have an awful memory for this kind of thing. So I, I think I'm going to say Lugano as well, but because well, immediately I went to El Salvador, but it was noticed Lugano, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I was in yeah. El Salvador too. It's nice of you to forget that already, but um, that's no, fine. No, that was where I thought we, 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 <laughs> yeah. we really hung out and jammed, uh, but no, it was I, Lugano. We, there was some jamming involved. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Paco involved as well. Uh, he was <laughs> all over the place, as usual, making sure everyone had a great time. But you have been 
uh, around the world, I, I think you probably travel as much or more than any other Bitcoiner I know in terms of Bitcoin related travel. And I, I'd love to, I know I gave a basically a perfect intro. There's probably not much to add to your, you know, to your backstory. Uh, however, I would love to hear kind of who the fuck is Joe Nakamoto? How did he get here today to be this guy who is a traveling journalist and creator and just goes around the world like a freaking psychopath giving people Bitcoin and trying to teach them about Bitcoin in this incredibly toxic way with this smile on your face and that mustache. How, how did you get to that point? What was that journey like? Okay. Uh, thank you, by the way, again, for these lovely words. And today I did do some giving out Bitcoin to people in the street in Bulgaria, dressed as a giant Bitcoin bee. And it does hark back to a little bit what we're saying about, um, you know, the Eastern European culture, that there is that distrust of other people. And so it was quite hard to, you know, engage with people. So I did the whole clipboard thing, which always helps. You know, if you, if you hold a clipboard, for some reason, people just trust you a bit more. Um, and then I held a magic wand, which was actually bubbles. So I was doing like Bitcoin bubbles. So that'll be so a video. toxic of you. <laughs> that'll be uh, out sometime soon. But the why am I here? Well, is it that Bill Gates quote? I'm going to get this wrong about, you know, when you when you, you're doing your life and it feels like completely like all over the shop and then you look back on it and you're like, oh, actually, I'm kind of joining the dots now. And it kind of does make a lot more sense now I'm looking back. And I had this sort of reflection. I think it was late last week. I was like, how on earth have I ended up here? Like, why am I walking around? um uh, a football stadium in Eastern Europe dressed as a Bitcoin, waving a flag, trying to get into the ultra section of the stadium. And it was one of like the, you know, like the, the Eastern European ultras. It is terrifying. You know, these people are like tops off, chanting, shouting. They've got flares, like sometimes they have fireworks. And I was there and like dressed as a Bitcoin, like, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, I <laughs> but still, um, it, was, it, was a, it was one of those moments where you just think, oh, okay, yeah, there's been a lot of things that have led up to this point. And maybe I should share those with you now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm professionally trained as a, a journalist via Oxford Business Group, which belongs to Bloomberg. Um, so with, I was there with those guys for three years up until and also during the pandemic. And with this company, I traveled sort of all over the world and I was dropped off in random places and I had to create like reports or economic sort of research that people could then use to make investments from. Um, while that was all like sort of you know, highbrow stuff, what I was actually learning was how to meet people, network, um, connect with people and do sort of on the ground reporting and, and research. Like, you know, if you're dropped into the Ivory Coast tomorrow, it, it seems quite daunting. But I'm like, that sounds absolutely amazing. Like, can I please do that? Because the, the situations you find yourself in, the, uh, the connections you make and the friends you make and the friendships that you eventually nurture are like some of the most amazing ones that I've got because you're in this sort of exciting environment together. Um, so, yeah, I did that for a few years. Or should I go back a bit more? Should I go back you to can, you can go back as far as you want. This is, this is open format, man. There are no rules. Okay. Um, yeah, wow. I don't know how deep I should go. Okay, so I'm one of three siblings, right? My brother, super duper smart, like Cambridge, uh, like very, very intelligent. He's now got a job in somewhere that I literally cannot say publicly, which is just brilliant. Um, is it MI6? <laughs> but no, it's worse. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so it's the CIA then? <laughs> can, we even, can, I, can Brits even work for the CIA? Can we like imperialist uh, that? Anyone can work for the CIA. That's kind of their whole shtick. Oh, okay. Um, I must work for the CIA because that was my amazing double bluff there. Mm, um, yeah. And if the CIA is listening, Joe totally played it cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, guilty. Anyway, uh, so the uh, the reason why I'm not a spook is because I mean a lot of information about me is very public. But yeah, grew up in a rather busy, large household. Went to a decent enough university. Did what was expected of me. Ended up in London. I, I always wanted to learn a few languages because I find that if you can speak to someone in their lo- like native tongue, then you have a sort of better connection with them, and it just opens doors and is just a lot more yeah fun. And then did the grad route, uh, which is kind of what's expected of you in the UK. I, you go to London, you get a nice job in the city or a nice enough job, and you do that until you sort of rise up the corporate ladder. And yeah, I mean we're going to call this fiat stuff, aren't we? And <laughs> I, I, I was there as well. <laughs> And yeah, after a couple of years in London, I was like, I, I'm in debt still. I am like, I thought I was earning enough to be able to like experience life and do the stuff that I wanted to do. But I, I could never ever, of course, buy, a, buy a, a flat. And I saw a job posting that said, travel 11 months of the year, have no fixed place of address and uh, yeah, earn while you work or something or words to that effect. And I was like, this sounds like the most wonderful scam. Where can I sign up? <laughs> and I uh, flew to Madrid uh, the following week for an interview. And the interview was like uh, The Apprentice, or you call it the Donald oh. Trump thing. What do you call it? Yeah, The, the, the Apprentice, apprentice well. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I was wondering if it was like Shark Tank that's become like Dragon's Den, or like, you know, they, they sometimes re, rebrand them. Um, or like, you know, like pavements become sidewalks, like that, that rubbish rebranding. Oh, I, what a what a what a what a terrible rebrand! <laughs> Sorry, I won't go there. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I did this apprentice-style job interview where every three hours, someone was brought into the CEO and the COO's office, and they were essentially told to go home. And um, and it was twenty young, bright, also really attractive. Um, that's did you just call yourself really attractive, just for the uh, record? Everyone but me was very attractive. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I just, I, I was just, I was just wondering. I'm, I'm actually compiling a, a whole dossier on you, so this is part of it. <laughs> Great. Um, add to the one that's already um, in the CIA and mm. MI6 and everywhere else. And, and it, uh, I was actually referring to the, the women there. The women were like very attractive, and I was kind of like, what is going on with this thing? And on the final round interview which on the second day at like eight eight o'clock in the evening and we've been going since eight o'clock that morning we're all like exhausted nerves absolutely shattered and it was the classic sort of last interview question it was me and this girl called magdalena and the last question was okay like we think you're probably both good enough um to do the job that's expected of you um now sell me your colleague and based on how well you do we might accept you and so that was like the last thing that was it was it was a great play by them uh, but it was a test and a, a taster of what we would experience on that job. And eventually ended up getting the job. I sold Magdalena so well that she actually got the job as well. So they offered it to both of us. And then nice. uh, the following week, I flew to Serbia. I'd, I'd actually sort of recently broken up with my ex-girlfriend at that time. And so I was like really looking for a change. Um, but I also just liked the idea of seeking out something more. And then, yeah, moved to Serbia for three months and then to Portugal for the first time for four months then to Poland for two months. Then uh, I literally lose track of where it was. But in, in total, it was Tunisia, the Ivory Coast, Morocco, uh, Mexico, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, and I mentioned the, the other ones, and a few other countries. And you'd be living in these places three to six months at a time doing these sort of uh, advertorial projects. But you're basically doing a journalism story. And then at the end of it, this very hot sales girl would um, pitch these people 
uh, for an advert to complement whatever they said in the interview. Now, this job thing is called, it's actually like a, n- a well-known international scam that's been going for about 50 years, and it's called the industry, like in quotation marks, and it's like a fascinating sort of uh, job thing, and there's a couple of French guys that have written books about it, and these are the sort of people that would like fly into the Congo, pitch like <laughs> the president there, get a $100,000 um, advert, never publish the interview, and uh, walk away with the money. Um, and there are lots of companies like this that did this all over the world, and they primarily target like the developing world. So I stayed with these guys for a total of ten months, um, and I was like really was really interested in the journalism thing, but was completely disgusted by the ethics of like this sort of industry thing. Um, it was also fascinating, like just to learn that this kind of thing still goes on in in the present day. Is this um, company like still operating? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, going strong. Yeah, yeah, and they'll tell you that it's not uh, sponsored journalism; it's not advertorial. And that the reason that they only hire like hot, young, um, often Eastern European girls is because they're the best, uh, you know, they've got the best commercial value or whatever. Um, but in reality, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's a very like twisted sort of thing. Um, but yeah, but from that job, there was a reputable company called Oxford Business Group that did very similar work to what this other company did, but with actual decent research and decent analytics. And that's when I sort of properly became a journalist. As prior to that, I was essentially going into a meeting room. And for those 45 minutes that I got to talk with a CEO or the Minister of Health or the Minister of Economy or or whatever it was in like a sort of small developing country, um, my idea was to get some information about him that the sales girl could use in the interview. For example, if I'm talking to you as a CEO of uh, your company does like radios and transmitters and that sort of stuff in, mm-hmm. in Romania. So I'd be like, oh, okay, so what are your sales this year? Like, what's the market doing? And you'd be like, hopefully you'd be honest with me. And all the while I'm thinking, okay, his sales are up 25% this year. That means she's got a green light to sell. And then I'd talk about like massaging your ego a bit. I'd ask about that lovely artwork behind you. I'd ask like how many people you've added to your team this year. And I'd say that, oh, by the way, we've got photos with the minister of radios or the minister of technology or whatever uh, in Romania. And he would love to hear more from you. And you'd like pretend set up a fake uh, meeting with them. And I'd be like massaging your, emo- e- your ego rather throughout this um, <laughs> interview discussion. And at the end of it, you're, you're on cloud nine. I've got enough research and the sales girl comes in and says wow that was incredible walker wow i just love the way you said this that and the other and oh my god your sales are up so well and i i'm just thinking i just wanted to offer you this really exclusive um sort of uh opportunity that we only offer to the, the best clients it's uh you know it's a it's an advert to compliment your comments of course and we could put it right here next to the minister of health and the report we're putting together and that'll be five fifty thousand euros uh, sign here and you walk out of there and sometimes you publish a report, sometimes you don't, and then you disappear on a plane a couple of months later. And this was still happening, and still happens today in 2023. They will say it otherwise, and I'll probably get into trouble for saying this, but I've said it on other podcasts as well, and they the, really do not care. That is why it, like it sounds like a great topic for a somewhat soft true crime documentary, uh, because it, <laughs> it's like I, there's, there's got to be something illegal going on there. But wow, mm. that's, so that's fascinating. So, so... Then you were at uh, this Oxford Business Group, you said, yeah? Mm-hmm. How yeah, long were you legit. there? And then, and then when did that transition into kind of the Bitcoin side of reporting? Mm. So while the sort of interesting thing for me here, relevant to my Bitcoin story, is that because I'd seen so many different countries, so many different ways in which regimes work, and so many different ways in which fiat money ultimately fails, I was also slowly being sort of 
orange pill because i mean you've probably seen this through your own network of bitcoiners like a lot of them are pretty well traveled and it's because a lot of the time they've seen that okay i'm mega bloody bloody privileged on the global scale like i've got a british passport i'm white i'm male i'm quite tall and like all, all these like things that are just mega privileges and i come with uh you know the, the british pound which is obviously a shit coin but it's a stable shit coin relative to other currencies but then when you like see how bad the Tunisian dinar is, or you see the fact that the, a lot of the, the franc uh, currencies, the CFA currencies, are pegged <laughs> to the euro, but then things are more expensive there that month over month than they are in Europe, it, it sort of open your, opens your mind a bit to, okay, what is this actual money thing that I'm using all over the world, but certain people play with better rules than others? And I was like, this is completely unfair. <laughs> There's got to be some truth to this. And that was sort of my touch points um, before I properly got orange pilled, let's say, but because um, I, I mean, I was trading Bitcoin in uh, Trinidad and Tobago in 2019. It was like a very chill project. It was in the Caribbean, and I would like on, in the evenings I would like sit on my balcony and go on Coinbase, not even Coinbase Pro. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And I would be like, yeah, yeah, and I was doing spot buys and sells, thinking I was a genius. And obviously, like the price back then was like three k, four k, something like that. Obviously, I should have just bought a load of Bitcoin. Uh, but no, like genius me was thinking, yeah, this, this is how you make money. <laughs> yeah, just, just about boredom. Uh, well, right, you're like, oh man, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely seeing the moves before they're happening. I've got this, mm. I've got this figured out. Yeah, yeah. And, and all the while you realize that, yeah, the, the fee you're paying as well on, on the likes of a Coinbase and the spread that you're getting on it wasn't mm -hmm. great. And I was doing spot stuff. Um, but that was me sort of being aware that Bitcoin was a thing. And I don't know if you remember that run up in 2019. It was like quite considerable. And I got like, it was like a taste of what a bull run is like. Um, so when I lost my job with Oxford Business Group in uh, the start, right at the start of the pandemic. So I took the last flight out of Tunisia I would have literally been locked in Tunisia. And the worst part was, is I just secured a flat. I just bought a, like two crates of beer, a surfboard, a guitar. And because I thought, um, right, well, I've got my flat. This pandemic thing will be blown over in a couple of weeks. So I'll just sit here for two yep. weeks, play the guitar, um, do illegal surf trips um, in the afternoon. Because like on the north coast of Africa, you can, there's actually some quite good surf. And it'll all be fine. And then suddenly just things ramped up. Europe closed all its borders. So to get back to the UK because that was when I was like oh my dad's gonna die you know you know all that like stupid stuff that goes through your head at the start of the pandemic um, and so I yeah flew back via Istanbul and on the plane home I downloaded it was actually what Bitcoin did uh, the like the beginner series and like I actually started to take it more and more seriously and finally because you know I lost my job I had the time to take it seriously but because I'd moved back in with my parents at that point uh, which is obviously like an error looking back because obviously it doesn't affect people that badly at all. It's just like a, another illness. Um, but, uh, I, I got a job in a factory and so I was putting, uh, I, was, I was earning minimum wage, which at the time was eight pounds, but now it's like 11 pounds in the UK. Um, thank you, Mr. Prime Minister. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, um, I was allowed to wear headphones. And so this was when I got properly like down the rabbit hole. Um, oh, my God, this Bitcoin thing is a lot bigger than we think. And um, got the Internet of Money one and two. And I think as with a lot of Bitcoiners, it was the Andreas stuff that really hit it home for me. So I heard him on the uh, introduction to Bitcoin podcast by Peter and was like, this Andreas guy, he just talks with such clarity. He just really seems to, to get it in a way that I will never be able to get it but i want to try to attain that level of understanding of this this digital phenomenon 
And yeah, so um, that was when I was like, okay, I need to stop working in this fiat-based model and work in a Bitcoin-based model. But first, I'm going to try to write about Bitcoin for the likes of Oxford, Oxford Business Group. And so I did. And I wrote about um, remittances into sub-Saharan Africa. We did a project on Togo, and I touched a little bit on like Bitcoin and fiat monies. And uh, what else did I do? A lot of them were like really poorly researched, and they had to be written in a certain way because if you're talking about Bitcoin, you'd have to say, but by the way, Bitcoin uses loads of energy, so you should look at this other green cryptocurrency called Chia or something. And ultimately, all cryptocurrencies are very volatile, most are scammy, and do not invest you know, any money at all. Not even like what you can't afford to lose, but just literally do not invest. Um, and so, yeah, eventually, obviously, grew quite tired of that and was like, I want to do something meaningful in this space. I feel like this is the direction I want my career and basically my life to go in. And ended up working at this company called Dat Radar. So, have you ever heard of them? I I don't think so, actually. That's a good thing. Great. Okay. Because they're a massive shitcoin publication. Um, it's decentralized application radar. Um, no, I, I know token. what Dat means. I just had okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was mega patronizing. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll let it slide just because you're British. Uh, you know, it's 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 in your so blood. We do. I get it. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But okay. So, so you get out of bed so and I patronize. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's all is forgiven here on on this another fucking Bitcoin podcast. It is again open Fantastic. season. Great. So so Dap Radar. How long were you there before you were like, I like, it must have been not jiving with what you were also learning at that time where you're like, hold on mm. a sec, this, mm. this doesn't feel right. I know that a lot of this is just, well, vaporware. Mm. And you wanted to, I assume, go in a different direction than that. Mm. I mean, I thought during the job interview that I would be able to eventually end up talking about Bitcoin, writing about Bitcoin, making content about Bitcoin. And I think that I, because I'd had a a year of like effectively working a minimum wage job and then working like a quite a crap job at a sort of local company in Yorkshire, like my confidence and self-esteem was quite low. And so I pitched for a job that was perhaps underneath my skills and uh, got there and was like, okay, this I'm doing like sponsored content for essentially like crypto token projects. So that was soul destroying in itself. But also I was like, the quality of what people are putting out here, like the, the, the research, the due diligence, all this sort of stuff, which I've been sort of trained with. I was like, this is absolutely crap, like content that we're putting out here. So was, that was one sort of side of it. And the other side was that, uh, well, there was, there was actually a, a moment when we were talking on Slack to one of my colleagues and he was like, oh, have you finished that piece about X metaverse thing yet? And I was like, no, it should be done by, you know, tomorrow morning. Um, he was like, oh, okay. I thought it would have been, I thought it would have rugged by now. Oh, my God. And I was like, okay, like, fuck this. Like, I am out. Um, and I need to just write about Bitcoin. I want to put my name to Bitcoin. And, yeah, I just don't want to have anything to do with this uh, insipid crypto industry. It's just rank. And it just attracts bad actors. And even the people that come in with, like, really good intentions, I think a lot of them get quite twisted by the nature of that beast um so that's when i was like okay so this i think that and also i boosted my confidence by realizing that there was a lot of crap sort of um, like poorly skilled people let's say uh, around me um, i don't want to sound like arrogant but honestly I'd, I'd you know i was a journalist and i was coming into a role that was like and i was a, as a senior editor at oxford business group and then i entered as a, like a sort of junior role at a sort of startup 
uh, crypto company that was also launching its own token. So they were going to eventually pay me in their token. And that token launched and it just tanked. And I actually haven't kept up with it. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there were some really nice people there. But ultimately, it, it was just uh, not the world that I want to build towards. And so, yeah, I looked at, okay, what is the sort of smorgasbord of Bitcoin and crypto related uh, journalist jobs out there? Thought Cointelegraph had a good reach and good graphics, um, sent off an application, had a couple of calls and then started there. And in the application, I was pretty explicit about the fact that like, I wanted to make Bitcoin my beat. And uh, yeah, to this day, I've, I've written like four pieces of work about genuine crypto projects. And that was in like the first month of me working there. And ever since I've only written about Bitcoin, I've got a big spreadsheet that tracks what is in the headline and what is in the body of the article. And it's like a weighting of like 75% to 25% Bitcoin versus crypto. But when I write about crypto or make content about crypto, I always try to do it with um, Bitcoin in mind because I'm obviously a mega biased journalist. But I don't care because fiat journalists are also mega biased. And that is something, I mean... (laughs) Funny little um, sidebar, I was at a dinner last week in Lisbon with the editor-in-chief of the um, Financial Times The Banker newspaper, and uh, I tried to give her um, some Bitcoin, and uh, I was like, I'd had a few drinks, she'd had a few drinks, we were were chatting around and stuff, and her eyes were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, as I was like, no, no, I'll just send you some Bitcoin, you can send it right back, you don't have to hold it for any more than one second. She's like, I literally cannot hold Bitcoin, and, and, you know, it is against, like, it's a conflict of interest. I was like, oh, come on, it's just a lightning wallet, let me, let me show you with my ring, I'll just send you some sats, you can send it back. And eventually she just got up from the table and just left. And I was oh like, my oh, God. My. Yeah. It Which was is such wild. a ridiculous, like, that, that's, what, a, what an absurd rule. Like, does she not own any sort of stocks, like no securities event? Like, does she own literally nothing but the, but the pound or like? Exactly. No, that's actually true. Yeah. Cause I was like, wait, so you, you literally cannot hold anything. She was like, no, I choose not to hold anything. And I was like, okay, well you don't have to hold it. Can I just show you how Bitcoin works? Because you're here at a crypto event. And so, you know, you're going to have to be expected to understand how crypto works at some point. Here's how this layer two on Bitcoin works. And I tried to do it from like an educational, like soft angle. And in right. the end, I just ended up sort of taking the mic and being like, this is just hilarious. Like, can I, like, can I pass you this handkerchief? Like, are you going all in on the handkerchief? Like, right. Are you all in right. on the chair? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I love that clip, by the way, from, of Sarah. So good. But I, I think that that's such an, such an interesting thing. Like on the one hand, I appreciate, uh, this woman's desire to want to stay extremely impartial. Like mm. that, that's honestly a, a rare trait or an, a trait that is getting more rare these days. Mm. But on the other hand, it's like with, if you're not even going to, to use something to try and use it or to use any of the associated technology, like to even just hold it for a second, like here, you just hold my phone. Let me send, you know, I, I don't know. It, it seems difficult for anyone to get a, true deep understanding of it i mean it's like if you you know you're reading about fishing all the time and you've read lots and lots of books about fishing and you've you know you've watched some documentaries about fishing and you've read all the new research reports about fishing and you're like okay yep like i i know all about fishing it's like yeah but you still don't know how to fish and you've never been on the river you've never been in the lake you've never been in the ocean you you really have this completely kind of academic and sterile point of view of something without ever seeing, okay, how does this actually work for me? And, and that's, you know, perhaps you could argue that you can get a pretty good idea of, let's say the monetary theory side of it. Uh, you could get a 
fairly good idea of that. I mean, if you study a lot of Austrian economics, surely you should be able to have a, a decent handle on that. But at least for me, I found, you know, the first time I, I took Bitcoin off an exchange and put it into self-custody, it was like, oh, wow. Wow, this is like th this is a really amazing learning opportunity for me and like something new just clicks where it's like mm. now no this is just me. Like it's yeah, all I on me. I can't I, I can't wait to do that personally. It, it yeah yeah for, <laughs> for for the first time. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think I think that that's kind of fascinating. And you mentioned you so see you were at a crypto conference and I, I'd love to touch on that a little cuz I know you have been very vocally at a number of different uh you know, crypto shitcoin conferences this year. I personally think it's a wonderful thing. It gives an opportunity, like you are in an audience of people that already is in on quote crypto mm -hmm. and for some reason got siloed onto the shitcoiny side without discovering Bitcoin enough along the way. But I know or that's something, all. you know, or or at all, which is mind blowing. Can you like, can you talk about some of those experiences? I watched a couple of the videos from it, and some of the people who were like, "Yeah, I'm Bitcoin, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've like I've heard of it, uh, but that's about it," and which just blows my mind. Like that you can there are that many people in the crypto space that really don't even have the faintest idea about Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild, right? And I think it's it's even more than that. I think that a lot of people in the crypto space don't even know that like they're using crypto. Like if you enter through uh, like some NFT thing, like is that really crypto? If you're just like an NFT artist, are you even touching you know crypto in 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 a serious way? I, I'm not I'm not sure why. Like you, like a lot of Bitcoiners have at some point tried to question and work out what money is, and uh, a lot of the crypto people and crypto is so all encompassing now, right? Mm -hmm. You've got everything from some metaverse designer to an NFT artist shill to someone that's um, trying to build some Web3 decentralized product. Oh my God, how many trigger words have I said in the past 10 seconds? Have I just lost you subscribers? Uh, no, no, that's okay. Bring them on all the trigger <laughs> words. I, I, I always want some something to be a little bit triggering. Like, okay. it's, it's a good thing. Keep keep up the trigger words like throw in blockchain innovation. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't even I don't even know you, you've already gone through a lot of them. But yeah, okay. so so they come in from the, well, that's the thing that their uh, their entry point is the is the buzzwords like it's mm. the the buzzword side of things where it's something they put in their Twitter bio that they're into blockchain web three NFT decentralized whatever mm. without a lot of times like especially with like the word decentralized it's a really uh, incorrect word for a lot of these folks to be using because most of these projects are in fact massively centralized which is always yeah. just funny uh, but so but mm. continue please. Yeah, no, just on that note of decentralized, there was one talk at the near conference. You might have seen the video mm -hmm. from there where I was like the toxic maxi going around um, yep. the crypto conference. I've got a five and a half minute video of that that I've just finished editing where I go into a bit more like depth with some of the discussions. Um, but there was a there was a, a panel on screen and I was walking past the main stage and one of one of the slides, sorry, on the screen said, um, just how decentralized is near? Like, um, how can we make near like more decentralized? It was like it was like words to that effect. And I was like, these jokes just write themselves. Like, 
<laughs> oh, they're like man. aware it's not decentralized. They're like, we know we sent, we're centralized. We're trying to become decentralized. But like no system in the world has ever become more like decentralized from a point of being centralized. Like, it, like power always centralizes before it then breaks down again. And that's why, like the, the innovation or the invention of Bitcoin is so important because it was decentralized, like from the outset, and it's only becoming more and more um, de decentralized. And yeah, it, um, it was it was bizarre seeing that. And I, I took a picture actually, and hang on, I'll, I'll scroll through my photos and find it while I um, tell you about how strange it is to be at these crypto conferences. But I mean, a lot of my colleagues at Cointelegraph, who I like, love dearly, um, a lot of them are really into crypto projects and NFT, NFT stuff. And they know that I'm this Bitcoin maxi, like orange pillar, um, but they're, they're happy doing their thing. You know, I think that for a lot of people, they will come around to Bitcoin when they finally like need it. And, you know, if you are, I don't know, let's say you're a doctor in New York and you're on a 250K salary, then at what point are they going to really need Bitcoin? Not necessarily as like a, um, like, because they've got enough money, right? They've got, they've got a decent enough living. They might be able to afford a house at some point. So they're, they're not necessarily blinded by their financial privilege, but they're so financially privileged that they don't need Bitcoin as a savings tool or as a, you know, um, a censorship resistant technology. And they're not worried about a banker, uh, a bank run or whatever it may be, because they've probably got some connection somewhere, which means they're always going to be okay. Unless, Especially in New York, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Unless we're talking about like what a lot of Bitcoiners talk about, which is like total economic collapse, which I really don't want. And that's not a world that I want to work towards and then rebuild from. I know that could be, you know, the, the beginnings of some perfect utopia, but the the cost of that and the, the effect of it all, just no, no thanks. I think I'd rather it just slowly builds up. No, I, I think I'm I'm with you there. Like I I do not want to see. Uh, total economic collapse. Like I think that's a very bad scenario because mm. a lot of just truly innocent people get really hurt. And like when there are economic collapses, like mortality rate goes up, like people literally die because either they like on the one end of the extreme cannot feed their families or, and cannot get a job or they fall into a deep depression and they commit suicide or something terrible. Like mm. these sorts of collapses genuinely hurt normal people. And a lot of times the people who are okay before them at the very top are still okay after them. Like it's not this huge cleansing that people want it to be all the time. Hmm. What I will say though, is that to your point about, uh, you know, just financial privilege and, uh, taking some time to get Bitcoin. One article I love is Gladstein's check your financial privilege. Like it's a, it's a great one to, if you want to, you know, reply guy to somebody who is clearly just, you know, not doesn't understand Bitcoin, but is coming from a place of like, they have more money than they know what to do with and have no need to understand it. Like, it's a really great one to because nobody likes being told that they're privileged. And mm. to check it. It's uh, I think it's very triggering. But yeah. it's it's a nice thing, I think, for Bitcoin's adoption, when we talk about a bottom up adoption, that the people who are most comfortably financially, not not all of them, because there are a lot of very wealthy, successful people who do get Bitcoin very early and say, oh, wow, this is the only way I'm going to be able to protect the substantial wealth I've accumulated that I've worked hard yeah. for, that I've built businesses to accumulate. But for a lot of people who are on the upper side of the, let's say, wealth spectrum, they are not going to get it right away. But that's kind of a good thing because it mm -hmm. does give people who have maybe not had uh, either the best financial resources or the best, maybe they've just had some bad luck 
Maybe they're hardworking, but you know what? Working hard and at a blue collar job doesn't do what it used to. Uh, and it gives those people a chance to at least try and even the playing field a little bit. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing about Bitcoin. And it gives people in the developing world a chance to leapfrog ahead of where the so-called developed world is now because they're able, and this is why these circular economies popping up around the world are so wonderful because that is helping people, you know, helping people to help themselves where the state has not, where, you know, uh, you know, various uh, relief orgs have not. And it's giving them a chance to genuinely, again, take a hold of this knowledge. And if they should choose to get a little bit of a head start on the rest of the world, like it's an amazing thing to look at, you know, any of these, uh, these small communities. I know you've visited quite a lot of them. Uh, these, you know, circular economies and probably if I had to guess, have some more scheduled for uh, these next few months, maybe, maybe in That's some correct. warmer climates, if I had to guess. Uh, but, you know, I, I, well, I, let's, let's switch gears in a little bit to that because what, you know, you over this past year, what you've been, you were in Peru, you were in Argentina, uh, Cuba, um, a number of, of places where there is Bitcoin adoption to various degrees. But maybe this is a good opportunity to just kind of talk about some of the the realities of adoption on the ground. Because when you're in these countries, like you really go out of your way to talk to people, like on the street, random people. It's kind of part of the whole Joe Nakamoto shtick. And I, and I love it. Uh, and the video, it makes for some wonderful video content too. But what's been your experience with people on the ground in some of these countries where, like, let's say take a place like, like Cuba, where I know th that was a, a pretty intense experience. Mm. Were there, were there things that were kind of really, uh, surprising in a good way and then really surprising in a not so good way in terms of the state of Bitcoin adoption? Cause a lot of Bitcoiners, mm. especially in the, the, again, so-called developed world, like to just look around, you know, Bitcoin fixes this, Bitcoin fixes this, and Bitcoin does fix a lot of things, but it, it doesn't fix everything and it doesn't fix everything right away. Mm -hmm. So what's been your experience with kind of the realities of Bitcoin adoption on the ground in these countries? What's jumped out at you? What's really stuck with you? Mm. Yeah, great question and lovely lead up as well. That was, that was great, man. You're a natural. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> now, I, I, now I'm just always going to think you're fluffing my ego as a part of some some advertising scheme. I've got a, now I've got my eye on you. I've got some wonderful <laughs> sales girl about to enter oh, the room here and pitch I, you. I, uh, yeah, well, but <laughs> that that aside, um, I, I I think it's uh, <laughs> they've got me all hot and bothered over no, here. No, uh, let, let me show you a photo to, to, to help oh, you wait. catch your breath. This oh, is beautiful. the panel that I saw. So it says, "Is near a decentralized protocol?" Dear it's Lord. Like, that joke writes itself. <laughs> that was out on, on the main stage. The guy's talking it through. Like, when do we reach an inflection? When near reaches an inflection point, what may follow? So, yeah, this it's, is what goes on at crypto conferences. They, they need you there, Joe. And they need, <laughs> honestly, like more Bitcoiners there. I think it's a good thing yes. for Bitcoiners to go to these conferences and mm -hmm. to, uh, to be just as toxic as is needed. Because mm -hmm. sometimes a little bit of that toxicity is, uh, sometimes it goes a long way. Yeah. No, I mean, and you mentioned Argentina that I didn't go to Argentina this year, but I was invited to go to the La BitConf, which is like the biggest right. chain, uh conference in Latin America. And I, uh, yeah, I couldn't end up like 
it was just really expensive to get there, basically. And so I didn't go. But again, that's a Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain, whatever you want to call it, conference. But again, you want to have like the likes of Giacomo Zucco or like, let's get safe on stage at some like horrible crypto conference. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like as long as he's not like too toxic, um, which obviously we can't guarantee. But wouldn't that be amazing if he was as well? Um, uh, so <laughs> I, I would pay to see that show any day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that would hopefully, you'd hope that they would ask the right questions that would get people's minds ticking in the audience. And they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe maybe it is more than just like some speculative token stuff. Maybe there is like some real meaningful change we can do with this um, with this coin, which I guess segues onto um, your, your question there. And uh, yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to do uh, on the ground Bitcoin adoption stuff and genuinely understand if... A lot of what we say online, like the Bitcoin fix is this, the, um, the fact that Bitcoin will uh, affect the global south uh, more than, you know, the developed countries around the world. I wanted to see and understand for my, well, with my own eyes, whether or not that was true. And also it was after a conversation I had with, um, like, you know, Udi Wertheimer. Um, mm -hmm. I bet you weren't expecting to hear that on this podcast. Um, so many yeah. trigger words. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so uh, we had like a back and forth, like maybe 18 months ago, two years ago. And I was talking about how important Bitcoin is in, in poorer countries. And this is when I was in Senegal. Um, and I was writing to him from Senegal being like, you're full of shit, mate. There's people using Bitcoin here. There's a guy starting a circular economy here. And he was like, no, it's not. And I was like, I wrote about it on Cointelegraph. And he's like, no one, no one reads that crap. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, that's fine. I mean, not a lot of people do read it. That's absolutely fine. But I was like, I need to make these stories more shareable, more visual, I guess, and more relatable to people. And so, because when I first joined Cointelegraph um, in like, uh, well, it's like two, two and a bit years ago now, I spent January, February, March of 2021 in Senegal. Um, and I was just hanging out surfing, but also tracking the Bitcoin adoption story there. As a year on from that moment, they hosted um, one of the first sort of Bitcoin conferences, Bitcoin only conferences in West Africa. They now have a circular economy going there. And they're about to host the second year of the conference in, it's actually next week. I was supposed to go, but I'm going to the Afro Bitcoin Ghana one instead. Um, but I made a video there last year. And one of the reasons why I wanted to make these videos is to show people that, yeah, there is this Bitcoin fixes this, this thing going on in poorer countries around the world. But there's also a lot of issues and there's a huge amount of scamming and there's a lot of you know, problems with distinguishing between Bitcoin and crypto and all those things that we are you know, aware of and we see online. But basically, I wanted to also show the likes of um, the trolls, um, the Udis and the Danhelds and those sort of people that, yeah, there's actually really meaningful Bitcoin work going on in the global south. Um, and I know you won't believe it if I write it on Cointelegraph, but here you go. Here's some viral content of me, um, I don't know, uh, getting someone to pay, or, you know, sending sats in front of Machu Picchu. Like we were the first, uh, Paco and I were the first ever tourists to get our entire trip paid for up Machu Picchu um, in Bitcoin. And now there's wow. other tourists that have followed us. I mean, that's obviously very much geared towards Westerners. Unfortunately, a lot of Peruvians have not been to Machu Picchu and probably never will go as it's a very like it's a lot poorer Peru than I, I thought it would be. And that's actually a bit of a, a shock for me. Um, but, you know, these little signs and uh, sort of I don't know, they're just encouraging, right, that a tour guide is like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll accept Bitcoin. I'm going to tell my friends yeah. about it. And before we knew it, he was like not orange pilling, but you know, he's just introducing Bitcoin to his pals. And uh, we ended up going to like the, the hot springs, actually, with this guide in Machu Picchu. 
and it was me, Paco, uh, four of these guides, and they were all like in their 50s, had like stories for days. We were just having a few beers there, and obviously it ended up being this gigantic sort of mind-blowing conversation about Bitcoin. And I was walking back to um, the place where I was staying with Paco. I was like, shit, I think we'd like genuinely orange-pilled them. Like, you know, often you talk about Bitcoin someone and it's like a first step, but sometimes yep. you genuinely orange-pill someone. And it, it, it did feel um, more that way. But now, now I'm going to answer your question. Sorry, Walker. Um, no, no, how... I, love, I love the roundabout. I'm all about it. Yeah, I'm very roundabout. I've, I've not got the best uh, analytical, progressive um, way of answering these questions. So... Let's go to, you mentioned Cuba as a sort yeah. of first touch point. So I was surprised at how uh, incredibly adept, smart, and resourceful the Cubans were. But now in hindsight, it makes total sense because you live in a country which has been you know, cut off from the West effectively and has been punished by like one of the worst economic systems ever imagined. Um, and so, you know, even... Uh, like I'm actually, I wrote a, an article for Bitcoin Magazine, which will be out in the next edition, where I go into a bit more detail and I actually explain the moment when we got followed by the Cuban spies um, as I was trying to give out Bitcoin to people in a, in a marketplace there. But I use an example of a fan that w we found in Katria's um, house, which is it has an American base. So it's like pre-1960s like base to the fan. The, the rotary blades are Russian. Uh, the power cord is Chinese. And obviously it's like twice my age. And, yeah. and I was like, and it was like just blowing it was it was like someone's just going that on you in the corner <laughs> it was doing nothing but that's the best fan they have and it's the result of you know 60 years of um toil and you know macroeconomic issues and wars and you know missile crises all, all this sort of stuff and that and that's the sort of um, level of cuban resilience that you're working with there they're able to repair like the crappiest little electric fan out of um, all these little bits and pieces and they're running nodes in this way and they are trying to promote um self-custody uh, self solutions on, on Lightning, which obviously with Phoenix right now is actually quite tricky because Cubans earn just so much less than, than Americans. Um, so there's a really hardcore niche of excellent Bitcoin educators, Forte, Catria, Vitalion, the guys actually that feature in, in the documentary, as well as some who are like not doxed at all and not public. And this is another point of why it's actually really hard to make Bitcoin content a lot of the time because a lot of the stories you simply cannot share or you simply cannot... Uh, not shared that they're docs, but you know, a lot of people just don't want to talk to you publicly about the fact that they've been in Bitcoin since 2010 because it, it could be an attack vector or, or right. what it may be. And so that's also something I learned quite early on uh, when reporting on Bitcoin stuff. I was like, oh crap, there, is, there are so many amazing Bitcoin stories out there, but I can't, I can't talk about them. Um, it's just yeah, the, the nature of it being uh, such a revolutionary technology. Maybe these stories will come out in 50 years time, um, but uh, that was the, the story with um, some of the Cubans. I mean, I don't think Battalion will mind me sharing, but he, uh, he, so he works for the Cuban government, and he, uh, in 2014, he read the Bitcoin white paper before Cubans had the internet, because the government had the internet wow. before regular Cubans did, yeah. And he was like, holy shit, like, this, is, this is amazing. And so he started learning about Bitcoin back then. He's one of the earliest sort of bit, uh, Cuban Bitcoiners to get involved with it. Um, and I was going to say, but he was also like, I work at the government. I understand that this could be like a, a destabilizing currency. Um, it could be the thing that sparks that revolution. And yeah, that for me as well was like a real uh, awakening of holy crap, this is so much bigger than us. Like what happens if we do topple one of the last communist states because of you know, this, this decentralized technology? Wouldn't that be like the most amazing thing? But also that's absolutely terrifying. 
Like we, like we as Bitcoiners were part of that movement. Um, you know, we're seeing it in lots of other places around the world to some extent, like with El Salvador and the way in which that's spurring us economic progression. But these would be also sort of historic feats. You know, I don't want to get like megalomaniacal. I mean, a lot of Bitcoiners are, right? But it, it, it really did hit home just how important, um, you know, having state-free money is, you know, in, a, in the most overbearing um, state place. Um, I don't know, do you, want to, do you want to fly around the world a bit more? I'd love to. I just, I, w I just wanted to touch on that for a second because I think it's, like, it's so, uh, it's so easy for us a lot of times to get caught up in some of the top-down narratives mm. that come around about Bitcoin. Like right now, the the ETF, which of course, when when all these spot Bitcoin ETFs eventually get approved, that is a huge milestone, undoubtedly mm. so. Not denying that whatsoever. But but actually, uh, uh, BTC Sessions said something when he was on here with me that really stuck with me that I thought was beautiful, because I was just asking him about top-down versus bottom-up adoption. And he said, you know, Walker, if, if top-down was all that mattered, top-down would have already given us Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is <laughs> bottom-up. You know, and it was, it was just such a brilliant thing, like, oh, very true. And he's like, you know, it's, uh, yeah, top-down pumps bags, but bottom-up changes the world. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment. And as easy as it is to get caught in the, you know, the number go up narrative that, that is gonna naturally come to be, I think it's so important to focus on these, uh, what some people who shall remain nameless might call virtue signaling type stories. But I think these stories are so important because it starts with one story and it starts with one person or a small group of people but that's how that's how every bottom up movement necessarily starts. You know, it has to start with one and then two and then spread out from there. It's the network effect of bottom up movements that has so much power to change the world, that has toppled dictators, that has, you know, brought about revolutions. That's a beautiful thing and it's it's something that people should really try to seek out stories about, I think. And I'm I'm glad that that you are out there telling those stories. So, and with that, let's go to another one. Let's go around the world a little bit. How else was the was the experience in uh, in Peru? How how did you find it? I know there's a uh, is it is a Motive in yeah. is that in that's in Peru, right? Yeah, yeah. So they are um, similar thing to Bitcoin Beach in El Zonte, mm -hmm. but with Motive, the project is incredibly ambitious. They wanted to try to see if these Bitcoin circular economies can be started in the most sort of extremely different terrains and extreme terrains anyway so there's a couple of projects in the jungle in like the high amazon like in Iquitos it's called it's like where like the best ayahuasca is there's also um one in the lower amazon um a place called juan guerra um so we went there um and that's actually um where a couple of bitcoiners are i don't know if i should say who they are or not so i'm not going to say them sure. um and and then there's a f like four or five in the outskirts of Lima. And I don't know if you've, if you've been to Lima before, Peru in general. Uh, I have not, no. Okay, like Lima is like the most disgusting city. It is awful. Like <laughs> I, Peru is absolutely beautiful, stunning. But um, like Lima, I mean, Lima is famous for selling bird shit. 
um, to give you a sense of like why the, the city became this big trading hub. And it's always like gray there. Like it's, it's like a beautiful coastline. And then the city just there's always like gray clouds just sitting on top of it. I'm, I'm really sorry to Chikame for shitting on his favorite city. If he's listening to this podcast at some point. I love you, brother. Uh, thank you for having <laughs> us. Um, and then there's uh, like four or five in the Andes. And then there's a couple more in like these sort of beachy areas of Peru. Um, so if you compare that to El Zonte, which is just one beach region in El Salvador, this project is just insane. And the NGO called Motive was trying to um, sort of stimulate, uh, or not stimulate, but sort of end people's dependencies on bad things in their lives. So there was a lot of like drug use or there was like domestic violence or there was, uh, you know, inability to hold down a job in a lot of these um, communities in a small towns, let's say. And so they were trying to work out solutions to, you know, to stop this. And the classic thing to do is come in with a bit of money and teach some people some skills. And this is what they're doing in sort of 2018, 2019, 2020. And then pandemic happened. Things got really, really bad. And then they got connected with this Bitcoiner who was like, OK, how can we sort of how can we help? And would you be able to like if I give you a load of Bitcoin, would you be able to sort of work out if that's a, a useful tool? And of course, Motive, the NGO, were like, what the fuck is Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of like uh, sort of understanding how it works. And there's a lot of testing different wallets to understand, OK, how can we even send these funds around and how can we sort of build from there? And so I went there this uh, it was September, so a couple of months ago, so 2023. So by this point, they've been using Bitcoin. They've got a system in place. And uh, it was really interesting to speak with the likes of Valley, who like wasn't necessarily a Bitcoin a couple of years ago. And now he's like, Bitcoin evangelist extraordinaire. He's like, he will orange pill literally anyone. He'll orange pill your dog. He, he's just, he's seen how big, how useful Bitcoin is in a, like an NGO context and how it's changing lives and, and stopping these dependencies because suddenly women are able to take uh, custody of their money and it can't be stolen from them and it can't be used against them. And, you know, men are able to earn some money and it's not stolen from them on the way back from work or, you know, they can't spend it all in the bar on the way home. Um, right. you know, these are really, really uh, underprivileged um, sort of towns and all the sort of secondary and sort of tertiary consequences because of them using Bitcoin as a tool rather than cash as the tool in these sort of young towns has made Valley, who is also just like the most wonderful soul, just really believe that Bitcoin is this like fantastic tool. Um, Valley works with Rich, who's American based in California, and he's uh, ex-LAPD, also like went into business and stuff. And he's taken that experience as sort of managerial stuff to, to sort of um, work out how they can connect up this operation. Um, and they're both Christians. There's, it's similar to Bitcoin Beach now in El Salvador. There's a big sort of religious sort of element to what they're doing. But that chimes in well with Peruvian culture because Peru is very, very Catholic. Um, so the idea is that you can use this Bitcoin tool to not just earn money and you know spend and save, but also like learn a skill um, to then mm -hmm. become more autonomous, more sovereign, basically. So a lot of what they do already chimed in with the Bitcoin ethos. Um, and now they're doing it with Bitcoin on top. They're sort of learning these surprising things. And like, so when I was going there, by the sixth or seventh town we visited, I was asking people if they were paid actors. I was like, <laughs> like, there's, there's no way that you're this, you know, you know, like when you send Bitcoin to someone the first time, like a, over lightning or whatever, there's like a little bit of stuttering and you're like, oh, oh I scan that, do I? And then, oh, the QR code didn't load correctly or whatever. It's not like mega seamless yet. And obviously, like devs know this and we know that obviously in darker, sorry, in brighter countries, the QR codes don't work as well. In Lima, uh, in, in a couple of the ones, it was in Carabaillo, which I'm finishing a, a video on about at the moment. Um, I was like scanning a QR code, like, oh, no, no, come over here. I was like, what? They're like, oh, no, we've got like a shadowy bit of the 
the shop where we always scan in when it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, okay, that is like absolute like 100% sign that they're using Bitcoin literally every day because they know that Lightning's limitations on crappy old phones at two o'clock sun in the two o'clock sun is that you have to go into this shadowy corner of the shop to make the the Lightning transaction. So those little that's beautiful. Sort of, yeah, like little, little bits of evidence like that. I was like, okay, these guys are seriously using Bitcoin um, every day. And yeah, of course, it's virtue signaling to say that people are using Bitcoin as a means of payment and that doesn't drive adoption. But it's also the most amazing thing to, to speak to these women who, you know, you ask them what they were doing a couple of years ago. They're like, I was sat at home. I was doing, you know, naff all. I was waiting for my husband to come home and beat me. And now I'm, you know, I'm learning how to sew. I'm earning this Bitcoin stuff. I'm selling you a T-shirt. You know, I've, I'm painting this mug, and with that, I'm selling it. Okay, this sounds like really like primitive stuff. And, and like, I, when I tell these stories, I always worry that I end up sounding like some stupid condescending like white savior walking in, being like, "Oh, look, we're going to like change your lives." But it genuinely is changing lives. And I really hope that the video that I or the videos that I'm putting together really highlight that and show that like. Personally, I went on a real like emotional journey while I was there because I arrived and I was a bit skeptical. I was a bit like, okay, what's going on here? Then he speaks to the people and you're like, oh my fuck, like this is like, like one of the guys I interviewed him and his 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 wife uh, died during childbirth. He just started a business um, as a a cobbler, like selling shoes for the the NGO actually. Pandemic starts, he just loses his wife, and uh, yeah, he, he's just like, I don't know what, that's not rock bottom, that's like, you know, underground rock bottom, it was just awful um, story, and then he's playing, explaining that, oh, and then I started um, connecting with the people through this Bitcoin thing, started selling shoes for Bitcoin, um, the charity came through and like taking a big order from me in Bitcoin, and now I've realized I've got this sort of hope in my life, and then on top of that, he was accepting Bitcoin in like, like June 2020, so the Bitcoin is accepted and the money's put away, has like gone up in in value because um, you know if you DCA with like regular orders, obviously you, you see that massive run up and the run down. But we know that over time that levels out to be like quite a nice um, tidy tidy sum of saving. But I, I finished this interview and I'm not at all do, giving the interview and his work credit right now. But I just started crying. I rang up Sophie. It was just like I love you so much. Like, this, is, this is like a, like awful stuff. And uh, it was just yeah, it's just incredible to see how. Bitcoin is the tool that is touching these people's lives. It's not fiat money. It's not some credit card. It's not, you know, they're not signing up to American Express and suddenly their, their, their problems are going away. It's Bitcoin. And I'm like, as good skeptics like we are, I'm trying to work out, okay, surely there's something else they could use. Maybe they could use a stable coin. You know, maybe they could use, uh, you know, Tether on Tron or, or whatever it might be. But I, I still end up arriving at a conclusion that, for the likes of these NGOs, for charities, for anyone that's in the aid sector, like, why aren't you using Bitcoin? That, that's kind of like the ultimate uh, conclusion that I'm arriving at through um, evaluating all this content and the, and the documentary stuff. Um, and then on top of that, it's, and why aren't you using Bitcoin? Because <laughs> if it can right. touch their lives, it can touch your lives. <laughs> well, I, I think that the, the NGO angle is, is such a, a really just common sense one. Because if we think mm. about just, there is so much money funneled through NGOs. And we know that oftentimes, this is not the case for every NGO, but for many, that money is misappropriated. It, mm -hmm. A very small percentage makes it to the people it's actually supposed to go to. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately, again, not for everyone, but for many of them, it's a, it's a very ineffective way of delivering aid and assistance and help to people, even if 
somebody's going in there with the best intentions, the, the fiat rails uh, really make it easy to obfuscate where a lot of those funds may be going and mm -hmm. to fudge some numbers. And the beauty of Bitcoin being this transparent ledger is it's like you can send, if you're donating money to this NGO, you can track where those sats are going throughout that whole process. You can see where it ends up. And, you know, granted, if they're using some privacy preserving, you know, mixing tools, which maybe the U.S. wants to get rid of, uh, maybe you can you could obfuscate that a little bit. But if an NGO wants to be fully transparent, Bitcoin gives them a way to do that in a very public manner that is just going to increase the trust in that organization as somebody who goes out and does good and does, you know, good by its people that it's actually trying to help. And the fact that along the way you're you're introducing this concept of sound money and actually being able to save because if you did this with fiat rails and i i i I've thought a lot and read a lot and, and heard a lot about the experiences with stable coins in various countries and there are pla mm -hmm. many many places where people do want dollars and they want a dollar denominated stable coin and that's great because i think people should have the freedom to choose whatever money is best for them I also think it's great that in that uh, motive is using Bitcoin specifically and giving people a way to save in the hardest form of money, because ultimately, like a U.S. dollar stablecoin is going to be more, you know, from from day from day to day. Yes, we we know that it's going to be. Uh, well, more more stable because the dollar is still the prettiest horse at the glue factory, right? It's still the world <laughs> reserve currency for now. I've not heard that before. That's amazing. I, I, I stole that one from uh, from Greg Foss, I believe. Uh, he <laughs> okay. said, it sounds much better coming from him in his you know his Canadian accent, but I, I thought it was beautiful. Fossian. Yeah, yeah, because you know that, that's and it's and it's so true. It's like yeah, the you know the the dollar is the worst, except for all the rest. Like it is still as far as fiat goes, it's the best one out there. And for people who are uh, looking to save from just the value of that purchasing power denominated in dollars from day to day, I get it. Use what you want. Use what works best for you. But for people who are trying to at least put a little bit aside to save up over a slightly longer time horizon so that a couple of years down the road or you know, even a decade or more down the road, they're able to say, okay, wow, I've increased my purchasing power exponentially relative to whether I would have saved this in cash. I think that that's a beautiful thing. I think a lot of the stuff that like um, Galois is doing with, with stable sats is really interesting as well. Like, and I, I don't understand uh, full disclosure, a lot of how that backend works um, with no, you know, executing various swaps and all of that. But, but I think that that's a, a great thing to be able to, to try. Um, and, but it's really nice to hear these stories. I'm looking forward to those videos as well, because I know for me, I mean, these are the videos that get me really excited about the future. When you see people who have been in really awful and hopeless positions, be able to be lifted up out of those. Mm. And it's, you know, it, it's made possible because of Bitcoin, but they're lifting themselves up out of it and people are helping them. You know, it still comes down to people, right? Bitcoin just gives us this base layer of trust that maybe allows us to have a little bit more trust in the people that are trying to help us. And mm -hmm. also happens to, you know, as you said, you know, lightning certainly isn't perfect. Um, there's plenty of issues there. If you want to do it in a self custodial way, 
that is a little bit more difficult. Absolutely. And also your point about, uh, in, you know, in Cuba where the amount of money I'm assuming you're referencing opening a channel, for example, yeah. is price prohibitive. Mm -hmm. like, so that's a difficult situation, but we're still getting better, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the internet 15 years on, um, was not perfect. And Bitcoin, when you're trying to, I think, uh, redefine what good money is also what a good monetary network is in a way that's never before been done. Of course, it's going to be a bit of a rocky road. Mm -hmm. And, but these people who are experimenting in these circular communities, I think that that's such a powerful part of this entire movement because that's, again, those are, those are proving grounds and testing grounds for does this actually work and does it work at a small scale? And I know at least for myself, and I think probably for you and for a lot of Bitcoiners I've talked to the idea of getting back to a, a more of a decentralized, uh, localism movement is really attractive that things should, you know, you don't need to be in a 10 million population, 15 minute city. Like that's not the future that people are looking for. You're looking for things that are more local, smaller, spread out, uh, with more accountability in that local ecosystem. So I think that that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to leapfrog over to a little bit, just about custodial versus non-custodial is I know for, for you, um, for me as well, like when I'm, was helping people set up, you know, lightning wallets in various places, oftentimes the easiest solution to show them was wallet of Satoshi, which mm -hmm. we have now seen is, uh, shutting down its U S operations. It is, you know, uh, unfortunately the U S regulatory environment is not super friendly to people who may be deemed as money transmitters. I'm curious, just kind of what's your take on that as somebody who's obviously shown people a lot of different wallets, um, shown people of a lot of different skill levels and technological proficiencies, a lot of different wallets. And also, you know, what's going to be, obviously this affects us people, but is, what is your kind of go-to for when you're, you know, man on the street, are you using Wallet of Satoshi? Are you using Phoenix? Are you using something else? You know, I mean, what's what do you recommend for other people who want to go out there? Maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, maybe they want to take after Joe Nakamoto and do some man on the street too. Oh, okay, friend. What do you what do you recommend what do you recommend for the you know, your ideal wallet? This is not a, a shill or anything, just I'm genuinely curious from your experience what works best for you and for people that you're trying to teach. Sure. And that was lovely. I, was, I could listen to you for days, mate. That was lovely. <laughs> well, your, thank you. <laughs> your, your preamble to that question was lovely. Um, so, as you know, I'm no longer at all affiliated or sponsored by Wallet of Satoshi because I said there is a potential rug risk there. Um, so, so we know it's not sponsored at all. Um, yes. <laughs> and, but I do think that it is, you know, it, it is a very, very good Lightning Wallet. And they do tend to implement the features that eventually get copied by other Lightning Wallets, um, which is quite good in a way that there is, you know, there's, it's not necessarily competition. I mean, I guess it is technically, but it's, um, you know, people are pushing the envelope and trying to get that UX better and better because ultimately we are competing with, you know, double tap the side of your phone, Face ID and Apple Pay and, you know, all those fiat based solutions. That is ultimately the goal. We've got to get it faster, quicker, you know, better than that. I know it's not all about, you know, payments, um, the payments narrative, but if, you know, Lightning is 
literally a layer two <laughs> payment uh, scaling solution. Um, so what, what do I recommend? It really is like, you know, it's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? The choice is yours. Um, you can do whatever you want with it. Some people just sit on it and hodl it for 10 years and then they don't even spend it. They just take their private keys to their grave. Um, but if I'm doing a, if I've got a camera rolling and I want the wow factor, then uh, recently I've been doing um, Wall of Satoshi or Blink um, because weirdly, since the Wall of Satoshi ban, in the US, I've had some problems in showing people Wallet of Satoshi for the first time. And it just didn't like appear on the app store or like yesterday or the day before yesterday, a Bulgarian fella, I went to like zap him some sats from my ring and he just, it, it froze on the screen. And so like, when you have like a couple of instances like that, you're like, okay, well that's it. I'm not gonna use that wallet anymore. Um, I do really like Blink. And I think Blink is a fantastic wallet. The UX is pretty great. The fact that you can create an address that's yours, personalized, you can send to that immediately. They also now have NFC, and uh, I know where the co-founders live. So <laughs> <laughs> the rug risk is sort of mitigated. Um, and, and for everyone listening, if you're not familiar with Blink, it is the wallet that started oh. out as the Bitcoin Beach wallet um, built by Galoi Money. It's mm. uh, not available for U.S. folks. Either. Oh, is it not? It I'm is sorry. not. Okay. It, it is not. This is this is yeah. this is sad. I know, but it's okay. We don't. Uh, the U.S. is this is a multipolar world, right? The U.S. Mm -hmm. isn't the uh, the center anymore. But it's it's a fantastic uh, fantastic wallet. I have somehow mm -hmm. managed to get it. Um, nice. I'm just. But if any regulatory agencies are listening to this, I am just purely testing it, and I'm not quite sure how I got it. Uh, but it's a <laughs> wonderful wonderful wallet. Um, <laughs> and I don't know CZ. Yeah, I, I I certainly don't know. <laughs> but have, so have you been have you been using Phoenix at all? Yes. For so recently, I use, so I use Phoenix personally day to day, and I recommend Phoenix to people that have like the tiniest bit of crypto knowledge. Um, like I say, crypto because they might be someone that's like, you know, I'll be standing on the street dressed as a Bitcoin. They'll be like, "Oh, you're a Bitcoin guy." I'll be like, "Oh, you recognize it? You must know something like." You know, Bitcoin or crypto, and they're like, yeah, I've got MetaMask this, and I'm like, oh fuck, here we go. Hey, oh, let boy. me show you, yeah, let me show you like a, a non-custodial use solution, and we go from there. But bear in mind that a lot of the time, if there's a camera rolling, I'm doing it so that it works. And as mm -hmm. we know, custodial Lightning solutions work every time. I mean, I've I've never had like a payment fail on a Blink or a Wallet of Satoshi for my own like choice like i transact with phoenix because i like the fact that it's non-custodial right and you know it has all those lovely benefits but then you know if you're looking for other sort of nice uh, custodial solutions then osmo wallet is a great choice in guatemala i think their ux is fantastic they've also got a learn section which is also why i like introducing people to bitcoin via blink or bitcoin beach wallet because it has a learn i don't know if you've seen it on the fourth tab mm -hmm. is a learn section and every lesson you do you earn a satoshi but it goes up in sats so the first lesson is one sat then two sats four sats eight sats and so on and so on which is um uh, pretty cool i don't know how high it goes because i've only done the first three lessons and it's in lots of different languages too and it's kind of become the wallet of choice for bitcoin circular economies um but yeah, I mean, if I look at my Phoenix wallet, it is an absolute, uh, <laughs> like it's just a car crash of transactions. I mean, that's just today. Yeah. Um, it's because, uh, you know, I, I live on, on a Bitcoin standard. I have done for a while now. And, you know, that's my, <laughs> that's just that's like, nice. <laughs> yeah, this past week. So, yeah, personally, I advocate for non-custodial solutions. But if, if I'm making content, then I want to do something reliable. But then, you know, for my friends, my family or whatever, then I'll also recommend that I use Blink. 
Um, but then sometimes I'll also whap out the coin corner wallet because it has an amazing animation. Um, that, that, that lightning, the, well. the, the lightning know. bolt animation. Yeah. yeah. Another wallet that in the U S uh, our regulators are protecting us from how kind of them. Oh no! Uh, I know it's, uh, to be an American, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> No, I, yeah, I mean, I can say the same thing about the, the UK at the moment, mate. It's uh, equally dire straits. Well, it's it's a it's a shame, you know. I even I don't know if you saw the news with um, uh, UTXO posted about it with Nodeless uh, Canadian regulators are like, oh like yeah, I saw this in as, a, as a money tran- as a money transmitter. Uh, uh, it, it's all it always comes down to the money transmitter laws with mm. uh, when regulators are concerned, which I just find to be honestly just so fucking stupid. Because you've got people that are working really hard to create solutions that work for people around the world. And yet you're deciding that in your country, people need to be protected from this actual innovation Mm. because they somehow don't, you know, dot the right I's and cross the right T's and get the right licenses and, you know, bend the knee um, to your pseudo fascist state. It's, it's just, it's just fucking stupid. And and this is another reason why I I think that the global South has a wonderful opportunity to leapfrog ahead because hopefully they won't have the same just idiotic attitude towards stifling creativity and building of real solutions for people. Because honestly, they're just, in a lot of cases, aren't as many, you know, uh, aren't as many regulations in place that would protect against this. But you look at, you know, the US, Canada, the UK, these are places with just massive regulatory apparatuses. And mm-hmm. so an army of bureaucrats who make it their mission to at least have something so that they look busy, right? Like you got to look busy, you got to have something that you're doing, got to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you're you're earning that uh, that paycheck and government pension paid for with taxpayer dollars. So Thank you to all the regulators out there who insist on pushing innovation overseas. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. Huh. And, and, but therein, like, I bet I felt good to get off your chest, didn't it? <laughs> it did. I've got a lot more, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll keep it. I'll keep it in for now. <laughs> okay. But no, that, that, just to that point, of you know, the, I mean, I know it's, we're talking about regulation, but it sort of ties into the AML KYC stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Peterson says it best a lot. You know, the director of Bitcoin Beach. He's like, you know. <laughs> AML KYC laws are just the most awful sort of poisonous things, particularly for the global south, because they ended up sort of looking at the global south as like a cost. And it makes it so that it's they're too expensive to bank and therefore they're going to stay unbanked forever. So for as, as long as we have AML KYC laws in place, we are going to continue with an unbanked global south. And that's just completely ridiculous. And the, the only solution to this, well, that I know of, and I'm pretty mid, so I, I will admit, um, <laughs> but, but it is an open source protocol, right? That, there's, that has a very low barrier to entry. And yeah, maybe the path to really fully getting to grips with that open source protocol is through a custodial Lightning wallet released at first. But I think that it's another thing that maybe Bitcoiners don't quite understand. It's that going from a cash-based economy where you're hiding your money under your mattress every night living with you know upwards of 80% inflation year on year to a custodial lightning wallet backed by the likes of you know Galloy which is sort of i think run or owned or invested in by Bitfinex which is obviously you know Tether and Bitfinex is one of the most like solid um you know in terms of investments uh, companies in the world like that leap 
from cash inflationary awful thing to yes lightning custodial wallet with uh, life savings of say 30 40 100 dollars that's incredibly substantial and i think that that's the, the point that a lot of bitcoiners are missing um and, and what does that mean that you know that you know you've got your, your money on your phone now and you know that it's going slightly up in value over time how do you think about your future differently it, it effectively changes your time preference so why can't bitcoiners get behind that when all we want to do as a collective is to lower our time preference right because we know that ultimately that pushes to this um much more sort of meaningful, sustainable, longer, not sustainable in the wishy-washy ESG crap sense, but, you know, I've got sustainable you. world. Yeah, yeah, like real sustainability, <laughs> not buzzword sustainability. Yes, yes, exactly. No, I, I, I completely agree because I, I, you see a lot of, you know, anytime, uh, for instance, you know, if you're talking about lightning wallets to recommend to people, and mm. if you dare to recommend any sort of custodial solution, it's like, oh, that's that's a... They, it's, it's essentially equated with, with jail. yeah with a, with a shit coin uh, basically yeah. it's like well you may as may as well just be a shit coin and it's like no one at least I can speak for myself and I assume you as well and most of the people that I talk to that go out and actively try to uh, educate in public let's say you're not telling people here this is the wallet you'll use for the rest of your life and you should put your whole <laughs> life savings on here yeah. you're saying it's here not FTX. It's not no FTX. it's like here Try this so that I can at least get my foot in the door of explaining to you mm. how incredible this Bitcoin thing is. And I'm going to do it through this custodial lightning solution. But you know what? If you start doing more research, you'll quickly realize that there are a lot better options if you want to save any significant amount of your wealth in this. And that means you can do it uh, non-custodially. You can have it so that only you control it. And you can do that in such an easy way that it just requires you to know 12 or 24 words. Uh, and, you know, granted, self-custody itself is not a walk in the park specifically for people who are just getting acquainted with this. But it's getting easier and it's getting better. And there's more and more educational resources to learn this stuff. So I think it's anytime you're showing somebody here, here's Wallet of Satoshi or, uh, you know, here's Blink. It's always with the caveat that, listen, this is great for like a little bit of spending money, but you don't want to put your whole life savings here. Once yeah. you're ready to do that, you want to put it in something that you can have complete control over. And that's on the first, you know, that's layer one Bitcoin. That's, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the base of it all, right? And that is what gives you that true sovereignty. Like custodial solutions don't give you that sovereignty, but they do at least allow you to like utilize this incredible technology on the layer two. Like that's what it's there for. It's not there to be a perfect solution for your long-term self-custody needs. No, it's there to be a great way to transact with Bitcoin. And I think that's missed a lot of times. Like, yeah, I think Phoenix Wallet is fantastic. And I think it's great that you have a way to do self-custodial lightning that's pretty, pretty easy for most people, right? Like, especially if you've already got a little bit of familiarity, but I'm also very grateful these custodial solutions exist. Yeah, and it just uh, like uh, Phoenix recently has got a lot of flack because um, you know, it's like, oh, the fees are crazy high, and it's. I mean, I think it was Ben BTC Sessions. We're talking talking about him a lot, aren't we? He's um, he, he put out <laughs> his ears like, are burning right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he put out something like, oh, you, you if you receive enough inbound liquidity at some point, then you know your channels are fine. And this goes a bit above my bear in mind I'm a journalist pay grade. So I was um, <laughs> I was like. I've never paid a fee of more than, I don't know, like maybe like 4,000 sats, let's say, for a, a Phoenix transaction. And sometimes I'm transacting in the range of like 100, 200, 300 euros um, 
like just on the way home today, I bought another Uber credit because Uber is on bit refill, and you know that's how I'm getting to and from the airport. And uh, again, I looked at the fee, and it was like three pence, which is you know like four cents or something. Uh, just three hops, pence, threepence. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was literally threepence. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've always wanted to use threepence correctly. This is a big day for me. Mate, I don't actually know what threepence means. I'm going to, ask, I'm going to get on. I, I might be GPT wrong. Right it, might, it might be something else, actually. Now, now I'm not sure. Now you've got me second guessing myself. Let's just we'll just assume it's correct. It's definitely three pence. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, we'll go with it. Okay. And it sounds so cool. But sorry, continue. <laughs> well, no, but that was that was my point. It was only threepence, and uh, I've definitely done something correct on my Phoenix journey to never have paid a very expensive fee. Also, I opened like the first channel on Phoenix when it was um, 10,000 sats and like 10,000 sats for me does not break the bank. Yes, it does break the bank for a Cuban. And that is, of course, like really shit. And um, we need to find solutions for that. I mean, I've actually got pinned another one of Ben's videos for tonight. The He just released the lightning liquid, um, mm -hmm. how to swap in and out, like to presumably to help solve or help work towards solving um, this kind of problem. But it's like what you were saying earlier. You know, this is 15-year-old technology. The, te the solutions we have right now are pretty great. They get a lot of us pretty excited. And the implications or the consequences of maybe adopting this Bitcoin standard are like, like who wouldn't want to try it, you know? <laughs> right. It's, it, it, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a really cool thing to, to work towards. So, yeah, if we do have some issues with non-custodial and custodial lightning, and that's just one layer two. There's going to be yep. um, lots of others, right? I don't know enough about any of the others. Um, I've seen about have seven you tried talks liquid? on liquid. I've seen about, I was about to say, I've seen about seven or eight talks on liquid this year. Even like um, spoke to, oh, what's his name, Scott, that gave uh, two of the talks, who was like the head of, or like one of the guys high up at liquid, really nice guy. And I was like, but mate, I've just still not used liquid. Like, when am I going to use? Can you just sit me down and like talk me through how, how using it? So maybe I'll do it tonight with um, Ben's video. It, it's on, uh, you should, you should check it out. And, uh... Ben is uh, sessions. You, God, I, sessions. I hope you listen to this and just hear how much we're fawning over you in, uh, in this recording. But it, it's such a great way to start out with literally learning anything new in Bitcoin. I'm very grateful for that service that he provides there because it's incredibly valuable. Mm. But Liquid, uh, I hadn't used it until maybe mm, a little over a year ago now, maybe a year and a half ago, and have nice. used it relatively consistently since then. And it works really fucking well. Like I haven't really? had any issues with it whatsoever. And I use a, a, a block stream green Aqua wallet. Or, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, you know, I, so I've got my, uh, once you write down your, your words and you boot up that wallet, it's a, you know, you can spin up a Bitcoin wallet out of there on chain, or you mm -hmm. can spin up a liquid wallet and honestly like nice. liquid super fast and it's a federated system. So you've got to forget how many, like they've got like 12 different, uh, they're like federation nodes, I believe. And so granted you're, you're putting a little bit of trust into that federation, right? Mm -hmm. But again, it's another solution for being able to transact cheaply and very quickly and everything's a trade-off, right? Like you can use, if you're ultimately just concerned about transferring large amounts of value and you're okay with having final settlement in about 60 minutes, which isn't that long at all by the traditional standard of things, you know, for final settlement, it's actually quite fast. But if that's all you're worried about, then use on chain. And if you are okay with giving up a little bit of potential, uh, let's say, or accepting a little bit of trust in something else, 
then use a custodial or non-custodial or federated solution like liquid or like lightning or custodial lightning. And you've got another, you know, you've got another great way to go about your, uh, your use of this monetary technology. Mm. Because again, it's like the, the base layer works fantastic. We, this has been tried and tested for a while. It's going to get more and more expensive to use that base layer as it should. And that's why I always think that the whole, like, uh, the Bitcoin security budget is, uh, is, is not, uh, it's a huge concern. Like Bitcoin's not going to generate enough in fees that it's going to be able to, you know, sustain itself. And you're going to have to increase the, the total supply of Bitcoin. Like a lot of the crypto side folks throw this out as some FUD, mm -hmm. which I just think is patently absurd. Because if you see the trend of fees, like it's going one way and it's going up. And I think what people miss about that is they're denominating the value in fees in the present day value of Bitcoin relative to other fiats and other assets, which is just very short sighted. So mm. that's a, that was a long winded and roundabout way of me to say that, uh, Bitcoin doesn't care what version <laughs> of it you use and use what works best for you in any particular situation. And it's again, as you said, it's, it's a, you have options, like I, use what's going to yeah. work best. That's, the, that's kind of the beauty like of it. Do you think it's also just a bit like men just being like annoying men sometimes? Like oh, on the second bit, nice. So no, they're light beer. They're light. <laughs> they're light beers, so it's okay, you know. But okay. Wait, you were saying men being men. Well, you know, it's like um, I'm sure this is a gif or a, a joke or a, it's definitely a recurring thing in comedy. You know, like a man tinkering with his engine or something. Another man comes over and is like, "Oh, I see you got the the swirly bop thing there." Yeah. And, <laughs> I used to have that one. Like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I was you. It's like, no, I, I'd, I'd rather use a Swirly Bop 3000 or whatever it may be. And we're all just like, sort of like just being silly men about this, being like, oh, and you shouldn't use a Phoenix wallet for, for more than $1,000. And that, that should be on, on, on chain. Swirly Bop 3000. <laughs> That's to speak of the devil and she will appear. Well, no. Hi, darling. Nice want, to see you. Yeah. You'll need one of those. I said well, to send there. my love. Please say I'm not interrupting anything. You're not. This, 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 this is this is this is open form. Uh, this this podcast is very very inclusive, so it's okay. We were just um, talking about Swirly Bob three thousands. Joe was regaling us with his knowledge of uh, of of car systems. You know, while while you're here, do you want to introduce yourself for the folks that will eventually listen to this? Hi, I'm Sophie Nakamoto, otherwise known as Joe Swirly Bob three thousand. <laughs> not I to just be love... confused with my Swirly Bob two thousand. Yeah, this I, I just newer, love that you took Joe's name. Model. You know, yeah, you know it is. yeah. Oh, man. I was supposed to be delivering beers in a virtual one to you, so apologies, but I've got caught up in the oh, uh, oh cheers. Um, cheers. I've got caught up in trying to master how to do reels in this day and age because uh, when I've been away with Joe, um, I figured that actually this creative direction needs a little flair from uh, from me with the music behind it. So I've literally just been doing my homework for you. Genuinely, genuinely, you are the sweetest thing. Thank you. But Aww. also, please don't do that. You don't need to do that. Um, I, I have editors for this sort of thing. I have a full team of one person. But darling, they're not me. <laughs> I love, I, I love the dynamic here. It's really beautiful. She's been honestly, she's been camera lady extraordinaire for the past couple of days, swirling my bop three thousand. And Keep it PG. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there could be children listening. I'm to gonna this. have gonna have to edit that one out. I think that was <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that was that was the one line when you're talking about Swirly Bob three thousands that it's like, oh boy, uh, that's gonna that's gonna get me kicked off of all the platforms. <laughs> can you can you tell that we are a little bit overworked, e exhausted, and um, travelled out? 
Is that, is that I mean, thing? you know, it, for good reason, I would say. Like, but that's a beautiful thing, right? And mm -hmm. I think that uh, there's uh, sometimes nothing more satisfying uh, uh, than being completely bone tired because it's like wow okay i did a lot to get here like i'm fucking exhausted and mm -hmm. that means that there was some hard work involved and especially when you're traveling and like i don't honestly i don't know how like you really are a natural out there with it joe because not everybody can just like i'm just saying like <laughs> i i have seen you drop into so many of these men in the street things and mm. you've been greeted with uh probably every possible range of human emotions in terms of what people say or don't say to you. Uh, so I, I want to say thank you for the, your service there because it is not an easy thing to just go out and talk about this, you know, mm. fucking random new monetary who's he, swirly Bob 3000 <laughs> technology that, that is uh, daunting and confusing and seems like you're it's too good to be true especially when you're just out there giving people you're like hey listen i i'm just trying to give you money like mm -hmm. i'm amazed how many people say no to you like i've seen where they're like no I, week, I, I, I i don't i don't want the, the you know the five the five pounds or the five dollars or whatever like that just that blows my mind i guess it just does that just speak to people being generally wary of scams like, I think it's a real like thing of human psychology as well as you've got to be a real chameleon to kind of try and it's almost like yeah we're the marketing slash sales team for this in a, in a way but it's always that kind of capacity like the, there's a narrowing of the eyes and you have to kind of adapt to that situation or that person that person's body language or like what their kind of what their pressure point or whatever it is that you can kind of sense from them in that moment to think okay what angle is the best way that I can capture their attention within five seconds because otherwise you've lost them it's like the real life video stuff isn't it you know if you've lost them within that that few seconds then then that's it they've they've walked away already and you can't pull them back physically because that's frowned upon we found that out the hard way yeah, right right yeah you're not allowed to restrain somebody I I have heard yeah. that but I think that that's such an important point too about when it comes to because uh, Joe, you were talking about you know uh, Bitcoiners always wanting to say, well, th you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. When you're on the ground, and I have not done nearly as much uh, Bitcoin education and orange pilling on the ground as you have. I, I dare say the 99.9% of Bitcoiners have not. But what I have learned is that, as you said, Sophie, if you don't hook somebody and get them to at least be curious in the first few seconds, and then mm -hmm. once you start showing them how it works, if it's not seamless, you've already mm. lost them. Like, mm. and so that's where those custodial solutions, which you can rely on and then follow that up with more education. Those are really powerful because you need to be able to say, look, this, what I'm showing you works and it just worked for you right here. When you hit snags and you, you know, run into all sorts of bumps in the first couple of seconds of showing something, something you've like, you've, you've lost them. And then they're just, you know, okay, well, whatever this Bitcoin thing is, clearly it doesn't work because I just saw it fail. And then they right. attribute every, that's, that's stuck in their head about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin doesn't work. And yeah. so that's a, it's a fine line to walk, you know? Good point, yeah. I mean, you suggested something quite smart this week. We did it um, over the weekend and it was like, what's your opinion about Bitcoin like right now? And then Sophie's like, you should ask them what, what do they think about Bitcoin now that I've just sent them some sats 
like instantly like via my ring or whatever and like three three of them i think were like it's actually really cool isn't it like it works really well and it's like fast and stuff and like what what else can i do with it and you're like yes i've piqued your curiosity you're mm. gonna like go hopefully go home and um like look into this a bit more so having that that contrast as well proves hopefully that being a twat on the street is um, more than just uh, silly content, but it's actually um, maybe uh, creating, you know, Bitcoiners. I mean, I've got people that reached out to me on my YouTube channel and were like, hey, mate, I'm the guy in minute three. Um, How do I do this? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to say his name again. I'm like, go subscribe to Ben's channel. (laughs) It's true, though. Seven times. Yeah, we've been talking about this. This is basically a... a an episode just about BTC sessions. Yeah. Um, well, there's no toxic masculinity here. All I can hear is lovely compliments throughout the the circle and we, we, masculinity. We were, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, we need to rebrand toxic uh, maximalism as toxic masculinity. I think it's got a better ring to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll leave you guys to it because I don't want to infringe on the conversation anymore. But we'll be listening in yeah solidarity. Solidarity, well, thanks. Were you going to get me a beer, though? Calm yourself. Calm yourself. <laughs> well, cool. Lovely to see you. Good to see you as well. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. And she's gone. Lovely as always. Yeah, no, mate, too charming. Yeah, really, though. So I, um, I am curious, what's the, what's kind of the, from these Man in the Street interviews and talking about hooking people in those first few seconds, mm. what's the biggest thing you run up against? Like when you are trying to, Get you and you were for anybody who hasn't seen Joe's videos, he literally goes around saying, Would you like to get five dollars or five pounds? And he sends them Bitcoin if they agree to it. But what's the biggest roadblock you run into when you're having those conversations? Like, what stops people or what's the reason they give most of the time if they don't take the money? Mm. I mean, a lot of people just don't, uh, will be like. I mean, I've got the most recent example of Bulgaria in my head, and there are a lot of people. I mean, it's Eastern Europe, right? There's a sort of lack of. Ah, um, oh, amazing! She brought the beer. Cheers, Sophie. Hey. Cheers, Walker. Oh, cheers. <laughs> that was a enthusiastic cheers. So the um, a lot of them will just like head down. They'll like acknowledge you, realize that you're like with a like a microphone and a, like Sophie's rolling with a camera, which I really want to make super obvious too, because it cannot be like hidden camera stuff. Right. Because then you'll, you know, you're just going to get into trouble. I mean, I don't want, there aren't laws against that in the EU as far as, far I'm, as, far as I'm aware, but you don't want to, that's just like a quagmire. I just don't want to fall into. Um, so some people just like acknowledge me, smile, and then fight back to smile. Cause I look like a tit, you know, like I was wearing a Bedford uh, bobbly hat, a big Bitcoin thing, a Botiv Plovdiv shirt with like Joe and 69 on the back. And I'm sort of like jumping around a bit, like being a bit silly. Um, I mean, it's similar to what I, I like worked for a charity as a student where we'd actually have to like try to get people to sign up to the charity. And so you're always trying to find ways to engage with people. And I sort of draw from that experience a little bit when I'm doing this. Um, but oftentimes it's, yeah, I'm too busy or running late for something, which obviously I completely like, respect and understand. Um, but sometimes you get the occasional person, like someone today like was like, oh, Bitcoin. You bankrupted me and like walked off. And I was like, you don't know how gold that comment is for this video. Like that is like the intro. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty perfect. I, I am curious. So, I mean, I think there is a lot of hesitance from people where it's like they, again, you have one bad experience with Bitcoin and maybe that was you had um, Bitcoin on an exchange that collapsed or that was you bought Bitcoin at the top. You watched it go way down. You sold it at the bottom, and now you blame Bitcoin for 
you having less fiat than you did before. Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot of people got, yeah, scarred by it in, in those ways, or they just don't know what the Bitcoin thing is and they associate it with all, all those other things. And so those people I would love to, you know, engage with and interact with. And the fact they've acknowledged me shows that there is the beginning of a connection there. And so it's like, oh, you bankrupt me. Well, let me reverse that right now. Let me like send you a fiver. Uh, but then a few of them, um, what were some of the good people that accepted just recently? Uh, I mean, it depends where you are in the world as well. If you're in a Latino country, it is just generally easier to speak to uh, strangers. I've only done this in like Latin America, Europe, UK. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, and it didn't, didn't, well, when I tried to do it in Cuba, it just did not go well at all. Like the, the police sort of got involved and <laughs> I was like, oh crap. So I had to like be a bit creative in, in the ways in which I went about it. Um, but what's the most common rejection? I mean, yeah, the com most common rejection is just no walk off, head down. Like, you know, I, I don't want to be seen on camera and then obviously running late. And then uh, the common critiques about Bitcoin are, well, it was, the one, it was very similar to the ones that Fidelity re released in that um, report like two weeks ago. The one that was like misconceptions about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. This went through them all. And it's ones you can expect, you know, like environment, volatility, uh, uh, being hacked or, you know, someone controls it, regulation, uh, disinterest, all, all, all those sort of things that we're, we're familiar with. And I can easily debunk those now on the street, like quite quickly with someone. And it's always kind of like good revision to do that. Right. Um, a little, I mean, practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's an excuse to talk about your passion um, with like brand new people, which is also what a lot of us do want to do. Like we do like as humans, we do just naturally open up more when we're asked about our passions as opposed to like our work or like, you know, our, you know, something that, we're, you know, unless you are really passionate about your work, in which case all power to you. Um, but, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like if someone does generally give you a really open ended question and they seem curious and you're talking about Bitcoin, you do tend to get a bit excited, don't you? You're like, oh, my God, this is going to be a great orange pill. Like, Let's I've, go. I've, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. No, it's I, I really do appreciate the work that you do, Joe, because showing like those videos showing especially, I think, some of the the conversations that maybe don't go as planned or of people throwing out the very common, very kind of things that a lot of us Bitcoiners think, well, why isn't this, this particular bit of FUD put to bed? You know, everyone should know this now. And it's like, the reality is that the vast majority of the world still has no fucking idea what Bitcoin is. Mm -hmm. There's a very small percentage of people uh, that have a handle on Bitcoin. And I think even those that have a handle on it are constantly realizing while wow, there's more to this, and to its potential than I even at first realized. So mm. I think it's those videos are also a great reminder that we need to have patience with people and that the job of educating is never done because there is always, I mean, unless we're fast forwarding a you know, couple hundred years in the future, uh, you, you're not going to have every single person on this planet understand Bitcoin as well as, you know, your, your random toxic maximalist on Twitter. And so mm -hmm. it's like those videos are a great reminder of that, that look, the average person is just going about their day. Maybe they're starting to feel the pain of if they're in a Western country of inflation and of the cost of living. And they're starting to maybe get a little bit more curious about, about money and like, what the fuck is money and how does this work? And why is everything so fucking expensive? And I think that that transition, I mean, we can thank the central bankers and the governments for really starting to softball up uh, the Bitcoin adoption, because if you start asking about 
why is everything getting more expensive? You start then thinking about, okay, well, how does this system actually work? And once you start digging into that, you start, your eyes start to open and then you're like, oh fuck, this is all just completely, this is a rigged system. How is anyone supposed to get ahead? And then you start to look for, well, okay, the system's broken. What can I do to at least help myself? And from that point of self-interest, maybe you find Bitcoin. And so I think that that's a, I'm, I'm hopeful and also grateful to the central bankers for completely just mismanaging this entire monetary world that we live in because they're going to mint a lot of new Bitcoiners. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad of that. Uh, one thing, I, because Joe, I want to be conscious of your time here. One thing I wanted to just kind of end on would be, do you have any advice for folks that are maybe struggling to talk to their friends and family? Um, and like not even trying to, they're not trying to go out and do man on the street. They just are maybe having difficulty convincing their friends and family about Bitcoin and they're really passionate about it. Do you have any advice having done now? I mean, probably thousands of these conversations, I would assume on the street with random people. Do you have advice for Jesus? Yeah, quite a lot. Uh, do you have any advice for people who are looking to try a different approach when it comes to talking to their family who just don't seem to get it no matter how much they talk to them about it? Mm, I don't know if I'm a good person to give advice on this. I mean, like, personally, I've just created separate WhatsApp groups for, like, you know, there'll be, like, a friend, like, so that there's a university friendship, friendship WhatsApp group, and one of the guys just literally loathes Bitcoin, won't talk about it, doesn't like it. So we've just got a separate one where everyone's face in the picture is the same picture, emojis of bitcoins but the one friend that doesn't like bitcoin has a aubergine emoji on his face because um, <laughs> <laughs> like well that's, like, that's well, one tactic yeah yeah um and then yeah like you, I, I guess ultimately you've got to r respect people and respect their, their values and where they're coming from and if someone has said no then like you know two or three no's does not make a yes I want to talk about Bitcoin now please um, it's that, 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 I think yeah maybe it's just a question of staying humble right the, the instructions are stay humble then stack sats not um, you know orange pill your pals then stay humble and, and stack sats I, I wouldn't want to force it or to upset anyone's good friendships relationships or whatever with their friends or family members or co-workers but I would also say that it is really really hard if you feel like you're um, alone on this orange pill journey. Like I remember I was talking to Nathan Day recently, you know, the BTC map and Nosta, and he's just like a brilliant mind who's doing all sorts of wonderful Bitcoin and, and Nosta related stuff. And he was, <laughs> he was saying that you know, when he sort of first got orange pilled, he just like disappeared into his office for like hours and hours and hours on end and then would like come out into the living room and just like, like exclaim to his, his wife and his son like it's all a scam like, it's like all this fiat shit and then we like go back into his office again and just like be like reading like the bitcoin standard and downloading podcasts and like looking at the white paper and just like really getting into the the bitcoin stuff um and he was actually going on this orange pill journey uh, by himself um whereas it is really nice if you do have someone to to bounce ideas off so i guess a potential solution for that is to download something like the Orange Pill app. Full disclaimer, I am an advisor to this company. No, I do not get a commission if you sign up to the app, but it <laughs> might be great in five years or ten years' time when it becomes this amazing public unicorn company. Who knows? Um, and Coming yeah, on this... my podcast and shilling, Joe. Yeah, yeah, Boy, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I do mean, you know what I mean? Like, it is a useful I'm app kidding. to Bitcoin people, right? Because we can um, shout on Twitter and um, Nostr and... 
um, try to sort of project our voices and in doing that it is actually quite therapeutic I mean I know that you know Julian from Kinetic Finance he started his channel to uh, as a f- sort of means <laughs> of therapy um, and so maybe great that's channel by the way it. It One, is wonderful channel um, it's great yeah no, sorry, I, I think can't cancel me. I've shilled, I've shilled the product. I'm sorry. You're all right. You're all right. No, but I think that that is good advice. Sometimes, again, uh, especially with friends and family, you need to wait for them to be curious, mm. curious enough to start saying. And usually, it happens because the price is pumping again, and they're like, "Wait a minute. So, are you still into that whole Bitcoin thing?" And you're like, "Yes, yes. It's, it's still, <laughs> it still exists." Like. But no, I, 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 I've okay. seen your transition from like sort of like nine to five cubicle worker to like mustachioed, wearing hodl on his jumper, like like Bitcoin tattoos, Bitcoin lifestyle, you know everything. And like, are you still into it? It's like, mm, no. <laughs> like, no what, whatever gave you that idea? Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, sorry, Walker. One really quick thing on that that is actually really really important. Um, so the content I make, I try to make it so that it is shareable to normies, pre-coiners, crypto people, or whatever. And I always try to do it with my mum in mind because my mum still doesn't like, doesn't understand, doesn't get this Bitcoin thing. And so I'm always trying to create content with sort of her idea of, all right, will it make her laugh? Will, will she sort of relate to it, empathize with it or whatever? Because um, you know, in, in her mind, I've gone from like established like Bloomberg journalist to like idiot with a microphone doing street interviews talking about magic internet money that's probably a scam. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's also my way of sort of coping with it and also trying to work towards it because I can share that with her and it's not like pro Bitcoin propaganda you know it's not like a rabbit hole recap like deep dive Bitcoin thing it's like quite lighthearted engaging travel content I hope with some Bitcoin in it as well I know I I think that's so important to the idea of making content for people who are not already in Bitcoin because there's a lot of content Mm -hmm. for Bitcoiners and it's so important to have content that is accessible to people who are our moms or, you know, our, our friends. Um, and with that, where would you like to send people? I'll link to your, I'll put your link tree and your YouTube channel and Twitter Noster in the show notes. Is there anything else or pe- that people should look out for that you have coming up in terms of videos? Send them to the moon. Um, send them to, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, no, th- thank you so much for having me on mate. It's been really lovely to hang out and it was nice to have a little interlude from Soph as well. Do send my love to Carla and it I is will. fucking fantastic that you're birthing Bitcoiners in, it's January, right? Yeah. Yeah. Coming right up. Yeah. Ooh, so it'll be a, a Capricorn. I have, um, uh, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've been speaking to a lot of Bulgarians about star signs recently and they were all like, oh, you're such a Sagittarius. I was like, how do you even know that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, They've read your dossier. That's how. Uh, yeah. Because they're part of the CIA. Um, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. um, but to to send people, um, I am trying to make my YouTube channel more of these uh, on the ground Bitcoin adoption stories. So the Botev Plovdev story um, of my lovely mug um, will be there. And there will be a story about Ghana as I'm going there on Wednesday. And there'll be all the Peru stuff on there. As I want to, I know that I've sort of made a, like a small niche name for myself as this man on the street guy. But I want to also show that, like, hey, I can do this kind of stuff as well. And I don't want to, like, put myself in a box because that is really fun and entertaining. But um, ultimately, I want to tell these really cool, like, Bitcoin stories from around the world um, and use the skills I have um, in doing that. So, yeah, subscribe, like, whatever else. 
I'll link it all. And, and to anyone out there listening, Joe Nakamoto can do it all. You heard it here first. Well, <laughs> Swirly Bop 3000. What, what was it again? Swirly Bop 3000. Um, <laughs> well, Joe, I really appreciate you, you sharing your time with me because, you know, while, uh, while Bitcoin is scarce, Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for coming on this one uh, and hanging out. This has been a blast. I hope that now uh, it's getting it's getting a bit late for you over there. So hope you can get some shut eye and uh, and get back out there. Good luck on thank your travels and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Walker. And yeah, that line is wonderful. I, it got a cheeky smile out of Peter last time, didn't it as well? It sure did. It sure did. Yeah. That's how I know it's working. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you so much, mate. This is the end there. And that's a wrap on this Bitcoin Talk episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. If you are a Bitcoin-only company interested in sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net or hit me up on social media. On Noster, head to primal.net slash walker. And on Twitter, search for at Walker America or at Titcoin Podcast. You can also watch the video version of this show on X or on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash at Walker America or rumble by searching for at Walker America. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.